Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. So in this episode, I decided to do something completely different. Since it's the end of the year, I wanted to do something a little bit more lighthearted and also bring together a few of my favorite people from the freedom movement, who I thought together could give an excellent commentary on everything that's happened over the past year. So my guests for this one are Dan Tubb, who's put some excellent commentary out there this year, especially on the financial side. Yuri Bezbanovskos, the pseudonymous Twitter personality, who's also been organizing meetups and events this year for the freedom community. Natalie Cheel, regular on TNT Radio, who's somewhat of a fortune teller of political events, and Parallel Mike of the Parallel System Broadcast, a content creator, educator, and strong advocate for self-sufficiency and living outside the system. Special thanks go out to Mike because I decided to stream this episode very shortly before I recorded it, not realizing there were some additional complications there, but Mike kindly offered to stream it on his channel. So I consider this episode to be a joint effort between the Staying Free podcast and Parallel Systems broadcast. I've agreed that Mike is welcome to host the edited episode on his channel as well. So if you're listening to this on Parallel Systems Broadcast, then hello. And if you're not, then please go and check out Mike's channel, Parallel Systems Broadcast. If you enjoy this podcast, I'm sure you'll really enjoy the content that Mike's putting out as well. So as well as this episode being an experiment in terms of having multiple people in one conversation, it was also an experiment because I was feeding in my DSLR for the camera input and we were live streaming it. So there was kind of three experiments going on simultaneously there. And unfortunately, one of them didn't really pay off, which is that somehow with the new camera setup, I managed to mess up the sound. So unfortunately, my audio quality is very poor for this episode. So apologies for that. But since there's five people in this conversation, I'm speaking a lot less than normal. So hopefully it's not too distracting. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, then welcome. Make sure you give the podcast a subscribe for future episodes. If you want to donate to the podcast, that can be done in two ways. The first is with Bitcoin tips, both on-chain and via Lightning. Or you can give a fiat donation as well using Buy Me A Coffee. Links to both of those are in the description. Tips are hugely appreciated and will go directly towards the cost of running the show. And just a final thank you as well to everyone who's been a listener of the show this year, and especially those who have donated. I really hope you've got a lot of value out of these conversations over the past year, and I look forward to hosting more in the new year. Merry Christmas, guys. Okay, we're on, we're on. Okay, amazing. Well, <laughs> thanks to all of you for, for joining me for this one. We're obviously doing something like totally different. This is the first time I'm doing a group conversation, and I couldn't have wanted to do it with anyone except you guys, you are a few of my favorite um, freedom people. So um, first of all, I'll kind of go around and you guys can introdu- introduce yourself. And then we've got like a bunch of different topics that we obviously want to get into today. So uh, first of all, Yuri, welcome. Good um, evening and I don't know, good morning if you're in on the other side of the Atlantic. So, And uh, Parallel Mike, who is also streaming the episode. So thank you for streaming it, Mike, and hi to everyone everyone on Mike's channel. Yeah, thanks for joining us, everyone. You all know who I am, and it's nice to be here with you all as well. Dan, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. And Nat Cheel, who was banned from Twitter, but not banned from the Staying Free podcast. Yay, I can still talk free. We're um, uncensored here, at least. Yeah, although we we are we are streaming on Mike's channel, so you know we might end up getting him banned. But luckily for me, it has no impact on me. So, I'm quite uh, sensitive yeah. as well, well so you know, be careful. Yeah. You're quite sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, are you back? Are you back in the room, or are you? Uh, can you hear me, Johnny? I can hear everyone. Is else your Polish fine. internet? Okay, I think there's a little delay for you, Mike, but we'll we'll keep running with it. So we got a bunch of different things uh, which we were going to go through 
uh, today. So I'll give a brief rundown of the topics that we kind of were going to have a little rant and rave about, and then we can get into the one by one. So first of all is obviously COVID, which is kind of where most of us <laughs> kind of started on our real red pill journey. Although um, at least at least that was the reason that this podcast kind of started was off the back of COVID and kind of how I got to know you guys. Um, so it'd be good to go into that and get an update on what's going on there and uh, all of our views. We've got um, the kind of revolving door of British prime ministers. Uh, I want to just kind of have a bit of a discussion on that. By the way, uh, Nat, you made an absolutely fantastic call on that. Um, Rishi Sunat, you said, as soon as Liz Truss got in, I heard you say this on uh, TNT. You said, she's not going to last. Rishi's the, ch the chosen one and she's going to be out the door. So congrats on that call. Did it, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did call that. We've not been incorrect about too many things, unfortunately, these last two and a half years. Another, yeah, another well, conspiracy I wanna get, theory I wanna, come true. Yes, well, I want to get more, more on that when we visit that topic. Uh, we got the, the pension bailout stuff, which I still don't fully understand, and I'm really hoping that the, the finance guys among us is going to be able to shed some light on that one. Uh, the inflation and the ongoing story of inflation, cost of living, and all of that um, jazz. We've got the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which is probably the big story of the year, which I haven't actually discussed too much on this podcast. So it'll be good to get people's thoughts on that. The FTX um, scandal, shall we call it? Um, Elon's takeover of Twitter. And then another section which I wanted to tap onto the end, which is clown of the year, because I think that we've had a lot of clownery this year. So hopefully people have a, <laughs> a, a few suggestions for that. And then obviously right at the end, we're going to go into a few different things on how we can actually live free amongst all of the, the chaos. So first of all, let's start on the, the COVID, COVID topic. Um, Nat, you're great at making predictions and you are right on a lot of the COVID stuff. So where are we where you thought we would be? And, you know, it seems to me like we're kind of on the other, other side of that now. The kind of vaccine, most of the vaccine coercion seems to have stopped. Uh, is it going to come back? Where, where do you think we are up to with that? I think there's a possibility it will come back in in the long term future. Uh, but at the moment, the the end goal really is digital ID, digital ID. That that that's really what they need. And obviously, COVID they originally were hoping was going to be able to use the COVID pass and introduce digital ID that way. We're obviously now moving more so with the cost of living crisis, um, and then pushing a digital ID that way through. So I think at the moment um, that's going to be put on a back burner for a while. Maybe vaccines will come back in the future once digital ID is put in place. But I, I don't think um, at the moment um, that that's their, that's their big push. Yeah, yeah, I, I, would, I would kind of agree with that. It does seem that, um, you know, the, the end game all along was the digital ID stuff. And it kind of seems like they've, they've dropped at least the, the vaccine angle to achieve that. And maybe we're moving on to other things. Yuri, what's your take? Yeah, it's interesting. I um, I was in a, a meeting at work last week with um, some people uh, in a local authority, and um, one of them had a, a pretty horrible kind of cold, and um, I was sat there quietly. It was a really interesting kind of you know snapshot of the, the the perspective on COVID from you know I suppose I don't know what, I don't know what we can call people, but norm, normies being the, the sort of generic term, but. <laughs> One of them actually, you know, you know, she uh, said, um, it's just a cold. I'm not going to test. She said, I'm fed up with it. Um, you know, it's like it's just like flu. We just have to get on with it. And then her colleague, who was also in the meeting, um, effectively said the same thing. She said, yeah, she said, you know, we've all had our jabs. You know, we just need to crack on. 
and I sat there, had a little quiet smile to myself, thinking, yeah, I think the, the general population has decided that COVID's over. You know, we've, we've done that one. Whatever comes next, we'll deal with it. And the other thing I did see the other day, which I thought was probably accurate, was that um, if you take into account the number of people that haven't had their booster, it's about 40% of the population, apparently. So you've got a significant chunk of the population now that's... Right, yeah, I, I guess like it started off with the the whole kind of 80% of people taking it, 20% hadn't. And it seems like with every booster, that's going to get less and less because I don't know how many boosters are on now, probably at least three or so. Uh, and I'm imagining that you're probably going to get like a 20% drop each time and, you know, eventually it diminishes to nothing, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, COVID was the thing that changed everything. I mean, I can't go back to the normie world. I can't go back to a normie job. Um, I, you know, it, it completely unmasked for me what the system is, what the regime is. Um, it showed that the only real difference between us and a and an autocracy is a is a forty five minute press conference, um, and that the and most worryingly of all, that the people around me will enthusiastically you know clap for it. It's 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 like the Phantom Menace, you know, democracy dies to the sounds of rapturous applause, and once you've seen something like that, you just realise that you know there are bigger things in life than you know, trying to get, you know, a good office job. So that for me completely sent me down another path. And now my mission is to is to basically push back against this. So I've joined the Lotus Eaters. So you can find me at lotuseaters.com now, um, where I, I, I started a series there called Brokenomics, which I'm going to talk about uh, the financial side of all of this. And I'm starting off with basic concepts, you know, explaining, you know, what really is inflation, interest rates, debt, all that kind of stuff. Um, and also, I do um, one of the um, one of the uh, daily podcasts every week, uh, where I sort of get into topical issues. So for me now, COVID was the thing that changed everything, and and my mission now is to you know, hopefully not too late, do what I can to push back before this stuff cements in. Yeah, for sure. Mike, what's your take on all the COVID stuff now? Yeah, I'd um, echo what everyone has said, uh, and same with Dan. Um, I mean. Looking at where we are now, we've just got a big pile of carnage. And I don't want to say something morbid like dead bodies, but it's very true. That's what we've got a big pile of and collateral damage. And again, for me, the saddest part of all of this still is just we have massive, um, amongst the public, we've still got a massive amount of denial. And they're just living in this uh, fantasy world, as I call it, you know, going on like everything is okay despite all of the indicators and warning signs flashing all around us that something serious has already happened. Uh, and like you said, with the numbers going to get the next one, they're diminishing each time. But I know in my own world, as I'm sure you guys do too, uh, an awful lot of people who are seriously unwell or have been harmed. I've got family members, I've got friends. Every time I call my family in the UK, they're at a funeral of somebody oftentimes somebody young who shouldn't be dying so you know it's a real mess and uh yeah i think that's that narrative is done with in the sense of people actually going along with it but it's certainly not done with in terms of the unraveling of the story i think that's going to go on for years and i think they're they they always plan for that and what we're going to see is them slowly start to engineer how that end game looks like and it will probably be something along the lines of we was in a rush. We made terrible mistakes. It will never happen again. Here's some money to shut people. But with that kind of end game, what it certainly will never be is that this was actually something that was 
um, you know, released either accidentally or purposely. Maybe we'll get an accidental, but you know, the, the narrative will certainly have an end point for them. And that's, I think, that's their goal now is just to tidy up this end point for them so they can continue with the overall push for, like uh, Natalie said, the digital ID, CBDCs, and the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that something this year that happened, which I think was really, really telling, like that kind of marked a watershed moment in this whole conversation, was that article that came out in The Atlantic, which was saying it's time for an amnesty on the whole COVID thing. And, you know, that was just a really obvious example of how the narrative, I, I just think that, that that was almost like a surrender, if if you've ever seen one. You know, the narrative has completely died. And I, I really felt like at that moment, now it's just a matter of, those people who have kind of really gone down this this path, I think they're even starting to see, hopefully they're starting to see the evil of their own ways, but they're certainly starting to see that at the very least they were duped, if not that they were, you know, active participants in this this whole thing. Yeah, and it's also like there's a dual uh, angle that's happening right now. We've got them kind of admitting that there was mistakes made on the one hand, but also on the other hand, doubling down on the fact that there is this scary group of far-right anti-vaxxers who need to be controlled in the future. So, you know, they're kind of doubling down on that side, but then also on the other side admitting, yeah, something hasn't, you know, it didn't go quite to plan. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go on Yuri, you were going to say something there? Um, I, I was going to say, is, I mean, the thing, really, the damage is done, isn't it? That's the problem, is that, I mean, I remember saying back in April 2020 that, you know, we were going to be facing hyperinflation and the biggest wealth transfer in living memory. And, yeah. you know, it was like screaming into the void at that point in time. And I, I can remember, like, literally on day one, when I can, I'll never forget that press conference when Johnson turned around and said, you must, you, he used those words, you must, you know, go home or whatever. And that was a real shocking moment in my life to hear a British Prime Minister actually use that kind of language and it was literally like somebody flicked a switch on at the, t at the time for me and I'm thinking oh my god this is going to be an absolute apocalypse and I've been mm -hmm. screaming about it for two and a half years and here we are and, and you know COVID you know every, the thing I find extraordinary is all, all the sort of you know Joe Public that have you know had, had all their jabs and their boosters and locked themselves down and didn't hug their parents at Christmas and all those sorts of things. It's like, oh, well, never mind. <laughs> Let's carry on. And I'm like, yeah. what? Yeah. And, like, and, and the amnesty thing is a classic. So my favourite phrase of that period a few weeks ago is like, we kept the receipts, you know, and I've got a whole mm -hmm. library of stuff of people that wanted me dead, basically. And like, I will never forgive those people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think, you know, what, what Dan said was, was so accurate about this, you know, it marked a complete change in not just like a moment in history, but I think also it was like a moral shift in the world, I think, where people yeah. just became so consumed with fear that they completely just threw all morality out the window. And I, I agree with you guys. It's almost like, you know, even though this thing is kind of behind us and in the eyes of the people who were kind of maybe in the Covidian cult, they just think, oh, well, you know, it's a period that happened and, you know, it's said and, said and done and it's over with now. We're on the other side of it. I think that anyone who has seen it like we've seen it recognizes that, like, when something like this happens, you, you've you kind of turned a page in history. And, and until these people, like, truly repent and recognize that what they did is, like, very serious, you know, like, this is something that should never happen. Until that, that 
occurs until that real kind of reflection happens i just fear that there's going to be the next thing i don't know what exactly it will be but i think you can already see that though with the strep a reporting um and i think the narrative hasn't completely gone away because they're keeping like these things in the background because actually when you again look at the the deaths from strep a in children they're hardly any higher than they've ever been before but they're keeping these things going in the news to keep that fear of viruses, keep that fear of, of well, the brainwashing in the indoctrination about germs, and, and, and they're going to keep it there. We know we have monkeypox. That didn't quite work. But they, 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 this is their behavioral psychology is still continuing in the background. And unfortunately, it's still working on a lot of people. It's, you know, a lot of people, like Yuri said, are now a lot more like, oh, about COVID, it is a cold. But there are still a lot of people that, that unfortunately – are not willing to talk about it and, ha- and realize what's happened at any level. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, that's totally true. So, yeah, I guess like when you when you've seen it like we have, you kind of just waiting for for the the next uh, the next penny to drop. So, so Dan, you were saying that that given all this stuff, you're looking at the world uh, like very very differently. Do you do you think that there has been any of this kind of like reflection amongst the people who were pushing this stuff, or do you do you think that uh, you know they've try to almost just kind of like sweep this whole thing under the rug and there's been no reflection at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, to be very clear, what I think has changed is not is not the world, it's not the government, it's not the people around me, it's my understanding of the world. Okay. It was always the case that government um, believed that we were a problem that they need to manage and it is their duty to corral us and make us do the things that we obviously need to do because they are, they think they are so much smarter than us and then and they, and they need to tell us what to do what changed for me over covid was seeing um basically through the veil seeing that that's really how they thought and and the truly astonishing thing for me was understanding that the people around me um a lot of them they they want to be told what to do they want somebody to say you know stand there do this do that Go go and stand on that yellow circle, even if I mean I'm sure at some level people must realise that standing on the yellow circle um, and walking around the the supermarket in in a certain direction and masking to go to the toilet in a restaurant, I think on some level everyone must understand that that is completely and utterly absurd. But for some reason they take comfort from from having somebody there, a, a parental figure in the government, to tell them what to do. So the thing that really changed for me is, is, you know, seeing, seeing how how rare people like R are who 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 don't need a, a sort of daddy government to take us by the hand and lead us up and down. Yeah, um, yeah. And as much as anything, I mean, what what we need to do, um, you know, those of us who have any sort of voice in this, is is give people confidence that, you know, actually freedom is does matter, and that your judgment is um, at least as good as the government's. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Does anyone have any final thoughts on the COVID stuff before we kind of kind of move on to another topic? All right, cool. So the the next thing that's down on on the list of things to discuss is the revolving door of British PMs. Now, why don't you start on this? Because you seem to have a pretty uh, accurate understanding of what the hell was going on. It's crazy to think actually that at the beginning of this year we had Boris as PM, and since then we've had another two. Um, what what's going well, on? I think there? It, it, it's an illusion of democracy, isn't it? Um, you, you've obviously said like we've gone from one to one to one, but to be honest, it's all like theatre anyway. It doesn't actually matter 
which, which one which one is actually PM because they're they're all puppets anyway. They're taking orders from from above from the World Economic Forum, um, uh, working towards Agenda Thirty, um, and and it, it, it's it's all an act as we know behavioural psychology to get the public on side. I mean, it was easy to see with Liz Truss because Rishi Sunak had so many links with um, with the family with um, with with links with pushing the CBDCs um, it, it felt very obvious to me that he was they that was the man they wanted in the job but it worked very well using Liv's trust as a scapegoat for a couple of weeks to blame her and so many of the public brought it and fell for it it was her fault that um, uh, the economy mm-hmm. suddenly collapsed. So, you know, they do these things uh, all set up, as you know, as a plan. Um, and I think Sunak will be there for a while. Um, and in, um, my guess is that it might be, because as we know, it doesn't matter whether we're talking Labour now or Conservative, they're all under the same, they're working towards the same goal. I'm presuming if, if the economy and the cost of living crisis worsens and they want to blame Sunak at some time, then we can have a general election and then they can push Ker Starmer, part of the Trilateral Commission, in and pushing it more towards socialism and, and, and kind of a communist um, way work moving forward is my guess. Yeah, yeah. Mike, I don't know whether it was you who said this, but I remember someone saying that they thought that trust, that, that her role was to come in and basically, you know, be the, the economy wrecker, like, oh, she did it all, rather than actually focusing on the, the kind of structural problems that she was, you know, her role was come in, blame everything on trust, and then it's like, oh, and now we've got Sunak in, but don't worry, all the bad stuff was her fault. Was that you, Mike, or, or did I, am I misappropriating that? And if it, and what are your general thoughts on that as well? Yeah, that's uh, pretty much what I said on my YouTube show about it. I said that it seems to me that Liz Truss was just a, a fall woman as such for, um, to, to manoeuvre the pieces because after Liz Truss then it paved the way for Ricky, uh, Rishi Sunak and I don't think Rishi would have gone in directly so I think it was a, a nice little setup there to put Liz in and uh, and yeah and uh, that's what we got we got Rishi in the end so I mean in terms of the UK political uh, state to me I never had any faith in UK politics I haven't voted for a decade well over a decade I think I voted once in my life and then thought yeah actually the first time I ever voted was when we ended up with the hung parliament do you remember that and uh, we got the liberal democrats in and they basically reneged on all of their promises once they was in partnership with the conservatives and after that I said I'm never going to debase myself again and take part in this whole charade and I never did and of course where we are today is just a an absolute fast Johnny. So yeah, zero, zero faith in it. I know where it's going to go. You're just getting a different flavor of the same thing. So for me, it's uh, yeah, definitely no political solutions here. It's all down to acting outside of that. And that's one of the reasons why I call my show Parallel Systems is I believe that is the only way is to create a parallel system and to completely undercut them at every point by creating our own structures, our own communities, our own way of living in ways that they cannot control. Mike, you're also coming through in drips and drabs here, but uh, let's just go to uh, Dan. Dan, what are your what are your thoughts on the whole PM situation? Um, yeah, I, I think I think Natalie ha- had it right. Um, the, the the mess that we got into is is an accumulation of thirty years of debt. Um, you know, by the time time that Liz Trust came into office, 
we were running a deficit of of quarter of a trillion pounds. It's, it's, it's about two hundred and fifty billion. The the deficit at the moment, you know, that is an accumulation of um, a process of thirty years of, of governments basically buying their way into into office by promising to spend more than they collect. I mean, we, we've run deficits now since about the year two thousand when we had a, a brief period of balancing the budget. Um, and on top of that, we had lockdowns, which were absolutely ruinous. They cost us 500 million. They did a huge amount to increasing um, um, unemployment, um, destroying businesses, um, pushing people onto welfare, as well as raising other costs. Um, now, what, what Liz Trust is, is basically blamed for having done is is brought in a crazy amount of tax cutting. Well, she brought in a package of tax cuts that were worth about 38 billion. Um, that's you know that that is a big number um but in the scale of government you know bear in mind that we spent you know about that much on a track and trace system the two years before that that turned out not to go anywhere we spent 500 billion on lockdown so if you're telling me that a 38 billion of tax cuts is what tipped the economy over the edge and then the bit they really focus on was because you wanted to lower the top rate of tax to what it was under tony blair well that mm-hmm. cost that cost about 2 billion if you assume it was purely a cost that i mean it probably would have brought more revenue through um, to put that in perspective, that's half of what we sent to Ukraine. So this narrative was put in place, which just just doesn't tie up with any of the underlying numbers. Um, but it but it works for them, and it says you know we we tried the whole um, libertarian, we tried the whole um, going for growth thing, um, that clearly doesn't work. So what we need now is is basically more socialism, more command economy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's. The, the narrative was it was a complete nonsense. But what I will say um, is that she was thoroughly incompetent. I mean, she made the sin that no politician should make, which is she seeded the narrative. Um, you know, but look at what Biden has done. Biden um, got ran out of Afghanistan in the most humiliating way possible. He's he's done absolute woeful damage to the energy sector and to the economy. But he never seeds the narrative. He's always got a reason as to why. Um, what he's doing is is great stuff. And Liz Trust, basically, when she got into those difficulties, um, I think she's I think she's an NPC. She she couldn't form her own view of what was going on, um, and she basically just took the view that the um, that the press were putting out. So she probably genuinely did think that she crashed the economy. She hid instead of putting forward her own narrative, and that is unacceptable for a politician. So, you know, it, it was a perfect storm of uh, an idiot NPC getting into office, even though she had broadly the right instincts. Um, she couldn't manage it, and the and the globalists who are much better organised, and um, in this case, they're a lot smarter, were able to seize advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. Yuri? You uh, still sound like you're in a, a in a clothes dryer, but uh, what's your thoughts on the? Uh, what's Sorry your, about that. Uh, it's, 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 it's all good. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I was going to say that I had a couple of extraordinary conversations um, at work over the sort of couple of weeks ago, where you know, sort of intelligent, you know, relatively well informed people, literally repeated the sort of narrative that Liz Truss had crashed the economy, and when I sort of you know offered a you know, a counter proposition that this is kind of as, as, exactly as Dan said, you know, 30 years of economic mismanagement, you know, living beyond our means. Um, and, you know, in terms of energy costs, it's 30 plus years of, you know, shocking energy policy or a lack of any co- coherent energy policy other than, you know, fossil fuels bad, green stuff good, you know, with no 
And I, I, I was on a call last week and um, we were looking at it, something like 80%, 84%, I think, on the day I looked of our um, energy was coming from um, basically gas nuclear and um, a bit of wind. So, you know, it, it, it's the fact that the, the media is able to, to basically create almost whatever narrative it, it wants and even intelligent people, you know, almost as though it's programmed directly into their prefrontal cortex, it, it, you know, literally they repeat almost exactly what they hear an hour later. I, I just find it really quite bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's a very weird thing. But I think like from the, the perspective that we all look at it from, you know, we're, we're all looking at like a kind of zoomed out um, economic picture where we're seeing, you know, what the actual like debt is, what the problems have been that's been happening for, for years. You know, even when it comes to, to inflation, people are like, oh, inflation is happening because of, you know, Russia, Ukraine, which we'll, we'll go on to that later. But, you know, the idea that inflation, which we've, we've had crazy inflation for, you know, a long, long time, you know, like basically since we've come off the gold standard, it's just been like intrinsic to the, the nature of the economy is just, you know, it's arguably, you know, we're having hyperinflation. It's just happening on a, on a relatively slower timescale. But, you know, I think that if we were in a, in a real like, economy where things were gold bats and stuff, the times we've been living in even before the Russia-Ukraine thing would have looked crazy. And it's, it's the same with this, this PM stuff. It's like you roll out a new PM, and they say, oh, look, this person's caused th these problems. He's been in two weeks. And it's like, well, what about just the, the entire structural nature of the way that everything's going? Let's move on to something actually that's, um, that's kind of related to this because, and I don't fully understand this. So it's probably good to start with uh, maybe yourself, Dan, on this one, which is the, the pension bailout thing happened. Because I think that was, that was all kind of tied up in this, this whole thing with the, the pension bailout. Now, I don't actually understand, um, you know, this whole guilt markets and all this kind of stuff. So can you give like a kind of explain like on five um, explanation of of what that whole thing was about, Dan? Yeah, the the super simple version is that um, uh, well, what what is a pension? A pension is that you want to give a company money now so that they give you money in the future, um, and ideally you want that money to grow over time. So they need to um, do stuff that involves risk with it in order to try and make sure that you have you know, a, a bigger pot of money there waiting for you when you come out. But they're also mandated to hold an awful lot of guilt. Um, and it's quite difficult for them, which which is basically government debt. And, and the yield that that debt gives you has been compressed year by year by year. Interest rates have come down, guilt yields have come down, and it sort of pushed them down and down. So they, they've had to take more and more risks, and they were doing that even with the, with the guilt element of, uh, of of what they held. So what happened is we then got into a, a highly unusual situation where the dollar was getting stronger, um, for reasons I won't go into, but um, the, the dollar was getting stronger. Um, there was um, a, a bit of a strike, not much. I mean, it was just soft demand for, for government gilts that week at the same time that Liz Truss was making noise, unfortunate timing. Um, whether one or two people in the market... Um, did Rishi a favour by by withholding their purchases of gilts that that week, which is which is entirely possible. I don't know. Um, basically, led to um, them being caught out on the wrong side of, of of a leveraged trade that they had gone into, so they they started getting squeezed. Um, 
it was basically resolved very shortly thereafter. But you know, what, let's zoom out and say what, what's the big picture. The big picture here is that um, governments are trying to um, be profligate. They're trying to spend more than they earn, and they're trying to borrow the difference. At the same moment, the central banks are trying to um, tighten conditions because um, in- inflation is now getting out of control on the basis of all the all the previous um, debt that they've they, they've bought up. So um, you, you've you've basically got to. We, we are now getting to the point in the financial system where um, the various things that have been done to um, keep the show on the road are, are are starting to you know come off the rails, and, and something somewhere is going to break. It is either going to have to be a radical reduction in state spending, which seems unlikely, um, a, a big increase in borrowing, but you know who who's who's going to who's going to you know come in and want to buy government debt now um or it's going to be printing more money or, or or some other thing is going to break the the economy we go into a deep recession and have a have a fundamental reset of living standards you know something is going to break at this point um and and the general public still thinks that they can they can have it all which is why you're seeing this sort of sky high report uh, support for um, you know, giving train drivers and nurses and everyone else pay rises. Now, yeah. fine, maybe they deserve it, maybe they don't. You know, you can take your own view on that. The point is that we can't afford it, and you know, somebody is going to have to miss out. Um, and it's either going to be public sector workers, or it's going to be um, all of us through inflation, or it's or it's going to be some other damn thing that breaks. But you know, they they cannot keep um, the 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 format that we're used to over the past decades. It can't keep can't keep it going anymore. Yeah, it seems to me that the um, the thing with the the pensions bailout, it's almost like I I, I believe that their their strategy essentially is that they know that things are going to break, but rather than trying to actually stop things breaking, it's just wait until the point they break and then maybe deliver some liquidity to that particular area, almost just kind of like playing whack a mole, and they're just going to yep. keep doing that every time it's a kind of hair on fire problem, they're going to throw some money at it or do whatever they have to do. And then they'll move on to the next thing, and then. But eventually, there's going to be just too many, too many things happening at once that they won't be able to save it. And I think that's when you'll see the, the real craziness happen. Well, re- yeah, really, what the strategy of the government at the moment is is get through one week at a time and then lose the election. That is that is what I what I can tell genuinely their plan. Um, if you look at their recent budget, I mean, it's got a whole load of um, tax raises and spending cuts in there, but they all fall the other side of the election, which they know full well that they're going to lose. So I mean, right, all, they're, okay. all they're trying to do is, um, you know, lose. Well, I mean, l- lose, but not not make it look too bad on on their way out. You know, re- maintain some some shred of uh, credibility. Um, and 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 to be fair, you know, if I were them, I wouldn't want to win this this current election either, because you know things are going to get quite nasty under the next. Um, and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what um, um, an authoritarian um, Labour government is is going to do to us. I mean, probably not much different to what the Conservatives would do. But um, yeah, we're, we're not in for a fun time over the next few years. Yeah, yeah. It's like all roads lead to authoritarianism. Nat, what, what do you think to this whole, uh, the whole pension bailout stuff? Well, and that general I mean, economic I'm not um, an economics kind of expert, but my kind of understanding long term, as, as we know of the Great Reset, is they want to crash the economy. As we talked about the end game, you know, they, they want people's living standards to be lowered over time. They want people demoralized. It's easier to control people when, when 
when they're not in a in a good happy state and they're under lower living standards and then of course it's going to be much easier for the hero government whoever they be at the time to come in and bail them out with the cashless system digital ids to me that's the longer term well it's to crash the economy over time and then come in with the to the the savior just like they did with the vaccines and covid it's the same playbook again the government come in with their with their rescue package yeah mike looks like your internet isn't giving me the same warning so hopefully you've uh, your connections improved a bit so do you want to give us a take uh, your take on the the whole uh, pension bailout stuff and the surrounding like economic uh, kind of craziness can you hear me okay we we got you mike i think there's a big there's a big lag but you're back so yeah go ahead okay well i'll just go on one long rambling speech and at the end of it you'll hear a bit of silence so you'll know i'm done yeah so basically i think with this um pensions uh, fund it's just a, a a symptom of a much greater problem that the whole system is now actually insolvent and you know what you're going to see over the next uh, year or so is this constant um need for the central banks to step in and to try and firefight wherever the problem arises they're going to have to step in the only problem you've got there is that the central banks themselves are now actually on paper at least going insolvent you've got the central bank of australia they're in negative equity now the bank of canada is posting huge losses first time in its history the swiss national bank they lost 143 billion this year ecb the same boat and in the UK, you've got the Bank of England that are actually being bailed out now by the Treasury because they are actually on the hook for it. So UK government have actually said that they will bail out the central bank for any losses. So what you've got is a really toxic situation. And what happened with the pensions was it was part of this derivatives debt. Basically, it's a mega bubble. And there's a mega bubble in derivatives debt. You're talking quadrillions in the system. Nobody knows where it truly lies. However, what we saw with the pensions fund is that it is going to start to come to the surface. Then you've got global debt in the hundreds of trillions. So it's just a whole big debt bubble. Now, if you're talking about taking us to CBDCs and a completely new system, there is no way to transfer this old system and imprint that on a new system. What you actually need is a completely clean slate. So just like Natalie said, I think what we get to eventually is they have to bring down this system. And what they're doing now is we're in this kind of holding pattern whilst they try and get the CBDCs up and ready and ready to go so they can actually finally do away with this whole system. In the meantime, there's going to be fires to fight left, right, and center. And the only way to fix that now, Johnny, is to sacrifice the currencies just to keep bailing out the, whatever needs bailing out, and that means sacrificing the currency and having inflation run well into double digits and the risk of hyperinflation too, which is essentially where I think we end up. So that's my take on it. We've got some really tough years. Hyperinflation for me is the end game. That's what they're trying to um, stave off. But again, they're going to have to keep printing more money as we go along this. Yeah. Yuri, you want to give your your thoughts on, um, on the, the pension bailout and all the economic craziness? Unfortunately, I'm I'm of an age when it's actually quite important to me because <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I was in a position where 18 months ago I could probably have retired in 18 months and um, that's probably not going to happen there. I mean, I'm lucky because I mean, I, I, say, I mean, as I understand it, and Dan might be able to correct me, but the issue with guilts is really more to do with um, a lot of the final salary schemes and probably public sector schemes as well, I'd imagine where, um, you know, they've got to, to have sort of much more secure um, investments. I'm in a, you know, self-invested pension, so 
I've always accepted that, you know, my, to coin the phrase, you know, investments can go up as well as down sort of thing. So, and um, my, mine's in a much more mixed portfolio. So I'm actually not that exposed to, to gilts. Um, but um, the thing I'm interested in, I'd be interested to sort of get a view from Dan again. Like, it kind of feels to me like we are potentially approaching a point where all of these kind of options that have been exercised now for probably at least 10 years and probably more like 20 years, you know, printing more money and um, all the other things that are being done. You just like if, you know, if you're if you're driving a, a car along a road and, you know, the thing's falling apart, you might be able to kind of limp along for so long. But eventually the thing just stops and it kind of feels to me like we, we potentially are coming to a point where, you know, the financial system is literally just going to break. I mean, I, I can remember the Northern Rock thing. When, when, when was that? I think that was 2008, wasn't it? When there was a big run on Northern Rock. And, um, you know, the reality is that situation would be replicated across every single bank at the moment, I imagine. And um, I know a number of people who've been told recently that, you know, they've been restricted in terms of getting cash from banks. So it just kind of, I don't know, it kind of feels like, you know, we, we might limp along for another two or three years or the whole thing could come to a shuddering halt in the next six months. Yeah, Dan, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I think I think you got that exactly right. Um, I mean, we, we, we really are sort of, you know, approaching that point. But, you know, th- this could limp on for, you know, another six, seven years for all we know. I mean, you, you're always amazed at how long these things do continue to last for. Um, and it kind of has to at the moment because there's there's no real alternative to it at the moment, um, and so there's there's not really anything else to to go on to. So you know it's it's only really when I think when people start to see an alternative that they start to abandon this system for something else. Um, you know what that could be. I don't know. I mean, it could be gold. It could be Bitcoin. It could be the BRICS currency that the is is being established in the East. Um, but yeah, and 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 the only the only difference that I I have on my perspective of the Great Reset, is I don't think that they are um, hoping to crash the economy. I think they're hoping to keep it limping on as long as possible. I think that they recognise that the um, economy coming down is is inevitable. And for them, the Great Reset is front-running that by installing a whole load of control mechanisms now so that the people who are rich and powerful currently get to be rich and powerful on the other side of a collapse. Now, if they don't have the control mechanisms, they won't be. The collapse will come and they'll get wiped out and then, you know, new institutions will rise on the other side. And you've seen that in the past in, well, you see it periodically in South American countries, you saw it in Wemmer, Germany and so on. And they're learning from history and thinking, okay, right, so if this is all coming down, let's have the control mechanisms of a, of a, of a digital currency and a, and a central bank um, central bank digital currency and a, and, a glo- and a digital ID, so that we can basically keep people under the thumb, um, and we get to pick what this new system looks like, even though they should they should have been cleared out. Um, and uh, you know, it is it, it it is it is quite malevolent, but you know, the system does whatever the system needs to do to perpetuate itself that little bit longer. Out of interest, um, Dan. I've um, kind of had this this thought that, you know, with everything going on with the, the banks, that eventually there is going to be a run on the banks. We're going to talk about FTX shortly, and I do want to kind of analogize to that for what I actually think is going to happen in the, in the economy and get you guys' thoughts on it. But just briefly while we're on this topic, do you think that it's a good idea to have quite a lot of physical cash at the moment? Because I, I think that 
if you have all of your money in the bank, eventually at some point, they're going to start putting restrictions on how much you can take from ATMs. I mean, it's already happening now, but I think that at some point they'll they'll maybe do, I think Mike's mentioned this as well, potentially that they'll do like an unplanned bank holiday or something. And during that time, they will just devalue the currency. Um, do you think that that's, that's a risk and that, you know, maybe it's a good idea to have some physical cash? Yeah, I mean, I, I spend all my time thinking about this and I, I can't tell you what's going to happen. All, all I can tell you is that I want to have um, options open to me. So, yeah, I have I have um, a safe with physical cash in it. I've got physical gold. Um, I've got Bitcoin. Uh, I, I've basically got, you know, stuff spread out. I've got, um, um, you know, o- overseas stocks and various things. And, and I don't know which of them is going to do well and I don't know which of them is, is going to get wiped out. But, but yeah, I, I do have a certain amount of physical cash. I mean, bear in mind, back in 2008, there was a French bank that was having meetings every four hours to decide whether they were going to shut down their network, which would have turned all the ATMs off and the bank transfers and so on. And if that had happened to one bank, it's very easy to imagine it's one of those things that could have spread and the entire network could have shut down. Now, if that happens, um, you know, if, if you get home and you turn on the news and you or, you know you, you see it on Twitter and you discover that the banking system has has basically gone on pause... Um, and you know there'll be there'll be a lot of noise if that happens about oh it's only temporary it's only for a day and it will come back tomorrow and you might well find that it doesn't come back you know you bloody well want some cash at that point because you're going to want to go down the shops and you know they're going to say to you oh sorry the 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 card machine isn't working and it's like no it's okay I've got two grand in cash here and I'm going to clear out you know your your tin food section um, yeah. so yeah I mean it's it's it's, it's definitely a, an option that I think you want to have on the side. Yeah, I mean, the only the only problem with it is that, you know, depends how much you actually trust them to actually keep that currency kind of active. Because I was in I was in India when they had the, the demonetization process there, where they basically overnight essentially re- re- rendered almost all the currency completely redundant. Um, it was just not it was no longer currency. You woke up the next day and it was like, sorry, the only way for you to redeem its value now is to go to a bank, go to an actual institution. So we were, you know, we were there like traveling and we were like literally queuing up, going into these kind of, I can't remember if they were banks or some kind of government buildings. And you could only change about the equivalent of about 40 US dollars a day. And the whole purpose of that was there were so many people who were hoarding cash and kind of keep it, you know, doing cash transactions to stay under the radar, not pay taxes, etc. It was to flush out all that money. So it's to flush out those people who had loads of money kind of stored up. And I genuinely think, you know, um, I think, would they do that in the West? I mean, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do the same thing. So, you know, people yeah, like, possible. you know, me and you, Dan, and maybe, maybe there's others in this conversation who actually think, okay, having cash on hand is a good idea. There's every chance that one day, if you have enough of it and you think, okay, it's always going to be redeemable, but overnight they could very easily just say, sorry, it's no longer worth anything. It, you know, all avenues are closed because the, the monetary system essentially is, is captured, right, by this cartel. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, to be clear, I mean, we are going to get screwed somehow. We just don't know how um yeah. so i so i want to keep my options open and that means having a little bit of everything so so i i do have um you know a, a a bit of you know physical cash but i've got other things as well and if if one of those doors closes on me you know probably several of them will hopefully at least one of them will be good i don't know which one but you know i i want to i want to have options yeah yeah a hundred percent um does anyone want to have any kind of more thoughts on that topic before we move on to the next one? Okay, cool. Right. Let's uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. I just feel like, I think a good one that kind of segues from that nicely is the, the FTX stuff. Uh, I've not actually, I don't even know if I've heard your, your thoughts on, on this one 
uh, Dan, at least not in the conversation. I know that you did uh, make a tweet about it, but um, you know, I'll, I'll just give my my thoughts on the FTX stuff first, which is that, like for me, the the what's happened with FTX is going to happen in the general economy as well. It's essentially just a microcosm of what's going to happen with banks because. You know, the, the, the thing with obviously like crypto is that you can actually very easily kind of withdraw it and bring it into your own custody. So it's very easy to do a kind of do a run on a crypto exchange, essentially, whereas doing a run on a bank is much more difficult. Because if you go to a bank and say, I'd like to withdraw my entire savings, you know, that's quite a process. And most people aren't going to do it. Most people don't have anywhere to store it. Uh, you know, so it's much more difficult in the in the kind of fiat economy to do a bank run. But what's happened with FTX is it's kind of highlighted that, you know, this is that the, the FTX Ponzi that, that was going on. That is the real economy that, you know, the exact same thing is present. It's just that we've seen it happen there. And I wonder whether, you know, we've seen it in FTX and maybe we'll end up seeing that in the real economy um, as well. So, Mike, actually, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, hopefully your your Internet's um, still kind of keeping with us for now. By the way, actually, just before I do, I saw a comment on on the on the channel saying like, Someone was kind of upset that, you know, there wasn't more notice given about about this uh, conversation happening. That's totally my my fault. I held my hands up to it. I was actually going to stream it myself. And when I realized I couldn't stream it on my own channel, I spoke to Mike and said, you know, maybe we can do it on yours. So uh, don't blame Mike for that. It's entirely my fault. And, you know, thanks, Mike, again, for actually hosting this. Uh, but yeah, Mike, your thoughts on the, the FTX stuff? Yeah, with the FTX, it was just like you said, it was a Ponzi scheme that was happening. And what they were actually doing was taking people's coins and then they was loaning them out and using them as collateral as well on loans yeah and when they were using the coins as collateral so you know it was a criminal operation that was going on there and the way that the establishment in the u.s handled it afterwards tells you everything about what was going on it was being used as a um let's say it was being used to racket money and we know that there was money going all across the world through that uh, FTX for the while well, Sam Bankman Fried individually was the single biggest donor outside of George Soros to uh, Joe Biden. So that tells you an awful lot as well. So for me, it was a rat's nest. It was a complete, complete rat's nest. And you've seen that afterwards. I mean, he was giving an interview for the New York Times and he got a standing ovation just the other day uh, before they even arrested him. So this whole thing to me stinks. Uh, and like you said, it is just a microcosm of what's happening in the major financial system. It is exactly what it is. It's a Ponzi scheme. And at some point, everyone's going to be running for the exits and only a few are going to get out. And I think we're seeing that right now. We're seeing the big wealthy. Um, we're seeing the wealthiest in the world. So let's say the wealthiest families, they're all getting uh, their money into land. You've seen that with Bill Gates recently. He's probably the most high profile that people will recognize buying things like farmland. And you've seen a lot of money shift around the world. Well, that to me is people getting themselves ready, Johnny, for the end of the fiat money. I think we're going to see that over the next few years. But then at the end of all this, it's going to be the little person who's trapped in the system. And as the system comes down, they're not going to have anything left. All they'll have is paper money and paper assets, both of which will go to zero. You know, our pensions, where, where's our pensions? It's not stored in property. It's not stored in precious metals. It's stored in paper assets. And if that paper system is going to come down, then nobody's got anything for the future. And therefore, they're going to have to be forced into whatever the new system is. And that's going to be central bank digital currencies. Yeah, yeah. Nat, 
Um, it's it's not a subject that I'm that I know lots about. Um, I mean, I know I've spoken to you previously. I mean, I, I don't have any Bitcoin myself. I don't I don't really understand crypto too much. To be fair, I'm a single mum. I don't have much disposable income myself anyway. Um, but I've never really liked it because of the kind of link to the digital world anyway. Because of the what. I can't almost, I've not done it if I can verbalize it, but something doesn't sit comfortably with me anyway, kind of like what Mike was just saying. It, it, it's it's so similar to where we're heading. And, and I like to be able to hold cash in my hand and, and, and have something that, that, that you can kind of barter with. And the moment something's on a digital basis and uh, – I just don't feel very comfortable with it. And from what I can see with FTX, it, it is open to corruption anyway. Yeah, I think with the with the FTX stuff, you know, like for me, it was the the surrounding corruption of it that, that was like pretty mind blowing and the links with the Democratic Party and how they were kind of funneling money from Ukraine. It was almost like you just had so many of the current things converging into one giant kind of I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I guess like a yeah, yeah. It was just a, it's just an almighty scam. It was like the mother of all scams, really. Yuri, what's your what's your take on all that stuff? Did you follow it? Yeah, broadly. Um, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, like again, I, I I'm sort of I'm old enough to remember when stuff like that would you'd get you arrested. You know, it's just like we seem to be in a sort of a post, you know, law post integrity you know, age, it, it just staggers me. And the thing that I found interesting about that FTX as well is like, I don't know how old that um, Sam Bankman is, is kind of what, 30-ish? And, you know, you know, however talented you are, you, you don't find yourself suddenly, um, you know, just by your own entrepreneurial spirit, running organisations with those kinds of asset profiles, you know, so... These people, I, I, I assume, I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but you just assume these people are kind of identified and then, you know, there's a, an entire um, kind of ecosystem that gets wrapped around them. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing that I found interesting, you know, there was money that had been funneled to Ukraine that was then invested by Ukraine back into, you know, um, cryptocurrencies through FTX. They then made, I think it was, I don't know, a $500 million or something crazy donation to the Democrat Party. You know, and then the whole thing falls over. And, and I, I, I actually almost get the sense that like, almost our entire global financial system is essentially a gigantic money laundering machine. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I would tend plebs, to agree. <laughs> the plebs at the bottom just, you know, sort of feed off the crumbs that fall off the table, really. A friend of mine, he, um, he's a, a partner in a legal firm up in the city, and um, a very wealthy friend of his was, was actually looking at starting his own bank. And um, he started getting into conversations with the, uh, you know, the, um, whatever the, the regulator is. The, the, um, and, and, and essentially, he, he particularly wanted to, to, broadly speaking, start a bank that was asset-backed, you know, rather than, you know, being a sort of a, a classic... And he was told in sort of no uncertain terms, you're not going to get a license, you know, because you, you, you've got to play the game that everyone else is playing, basically. And, um, and it just feels like the entire system is just completely stacked against normal people, really. And, uh, you know, even to the extent that, yeah. you know, they don't, I don't get any sense that these people see it as, as our money when you deposit. And I'm sure they're, you know, effectively that, you know, we, we become creditors 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I, I totally get Dan's point about you know diversifying your assets, and you know, I think, I mean, you know, I, I had a, a, an interesting chat last week with a guy who was a bit of a Bitcoin guru, and um, I, I, you know, I'm, I was kind of on the fence, and I, I, I do get that. What I like about Bitcoin is the, the the concept that you know you do have to do work to create it. It's finite, so it's relatively speaking, you know, inflation-proof. It's, it's the um, provenance of these things in terms of really understanding, like who, who who's behind it, who's kind of holding the keys to it, and um, is it just something that could literally be kind of taken away at any t- any moment in time at the right time? So. Well, I'll, I'll, if I, if I start addressing that one, I know we'll be here till midnight, Yuri. So I'll, I'll let that one, I'll let that one linger. Um, but we can have a separate conversation about, about that one if you like. I'm glad to hear though that you're, you're really exploring, exploring Bitcoin now. I saw you, I saw you tweet about that and that's awesome to hear. Dan, you, I know that you wrote a, you wrote a Twitter thread on the, on the FTX stuff, which uh, went quite big. Um, I don't actually remember kind of what the conclusion of that was. So do you mind just giving, giving your take to close that, that topic off? Yeah, that was um, that. That was a while about now, and events have moved on. So, so I'm pleased to say that Sam Bankman-Fried has actually been arrested now, um, yeah. and he's he's facing quite a litany of charges. If he gets the maximum of all of them, it will give him 115 years in prison. So, it's nice to see that the system um, eventually got to the point where it was so embarrassed by the absolute um, brazenness of, of his crimes that they they decided that they had to go ahead and arrest him. So, that is something. Um, I just want to quickly pick up on a point that, that Yuri made about, um, you know, it's not really your money. That That is literally how it is. When you pay money into a bank, it is legally their money. You are just a creditor to them. Um, and the whole thing that FTX did is, is basically what your bank is entitled to do, which is to use that money for their own for their own purposes. Um, where where Sam Bankman-Free got out of control is that he 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 basically just started out full out criminality and he was, you know, he, he, he had no sort of risk controls on him. Uh, I do think Bitcoin is really worth looking at. It, it, it is worth getting hold of. It is something you can sort of have in your hand. So I've got an example here in my, in my drawer of, um, um, you know, a, a, a Bitcoin wallet that you can print out and, and, and you can hold. And there are two keys on there. There's the um, the public key that you can use for sending uh, or sort of receiving money into it. And then the bit that's covered up is the private key for, for sending money out of it. So it is, it is something that you can... Um, physically have and you know you you have complete control of that and there is nothing else like that apart from physical gold that you can have complete control over you know cash can be devalued money in the bank can be taken at any time if you lived in cyprus in 2008 they basically just came along and stole money out of people's accounts there is no reason why that can't be done here in fact the bank of england recently published guidance on how they would do it the process for for a bail-in they called it so um, you know, I, I, I always said to people there, there are only there are only two things you can really really own, and that is Bitcoin and, and, and physical gold. So anyone who is sort of curious about it, I would say, you know, start start looking into both of those options, even if it is a very small amount, even if it's a, even if it's a gram of gold, and even if it's um, you know one fiftieth of Bitcoin, you know, look look at both of them. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, um, um, just on the on the FTX stuff as well with Sam Bankman-Fried, like, obviously, you know, he's been arrested, but I think it's going to be really interesting to actually see where this goes, because it's very clear to me. And, you know, this we kind of see this often, you know, this this kind of young, whatever, like prodigy or whatever, this this child prodigy of 
not a child, but you know, like 30 years old, being a billionaire, running a, a you know one of the biggest exchanges in the world, etc. That's kind of like one of these stories. It goes big. You know, he's been on the cover of you know major magazines. I think he was maybe he was on the cover of Time or something. I don't know. But whenever you see this, it it screams to me like psyop. You know, it's almost like this guy has been kind of selected for this role. And then you look at his family and stuff. Very much similar to when you look at um, Epstein and 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 uh, you know Ghislaine and, and stuff like this. Like what's called Ghislaine Maxwell. Like they, um, you know, when you look at these people and you look at the surrounding kind of family and stuff, it's like intelligence, you know, they're, they're very like heavily linked with the government. You know, now you've got all of the media kind of, you know, fawning over this guy being like, oh, you know, you know, he didn't know, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just too young and he was so successful. He's a victim of his own success. But now he's been arrested, you know, and now the actual law is going to come down on this guy, hopefully. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes because I think that he's going to get a very soft touch. Uh, I think it's, he's going to, you know, either he'll get epstein or he's going to be given some kind of soft touch. Maybe he'll, you know, give a load of information about how the industry, you know, runs and he'll get, you know, some kind of suspended sentence because he's, you know, told people what's happening in the industry. He'll be some kind of, he'll be hailed as a whistleblower. I don't know how it'll go, um, but I don't know. I, I don't think that we're going to see justice here. I think that uh, this guy is, is way too close to the underbelly of the corrupt um, kind of system that I think that he's going to get a soft touch personally. Well, the charges that have been brought against him are really quite serious charges. I mean, they are well up there in terms of in terms of seriousness. So it would be very difficult for him to to walk, um, especially since he spent the last two weeks basically incriminating himself by, yeah. by going on media shows. So, I mean, I suspect what it will come down to, and I think you're right to bring in the power element of this, what it's going to come down to is is will he take his... Um, will, will he do his time quietly? You know, it could be arranged for him because I mean, he's going to do a long prison sentence. But can he? Can it be arranged that he goes to a cushy prison um, and he does he does his forty years or whatever it, it comes down to? And like I say, it could it could be up to one hundred and fifteen years. Um, and if he decides he 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 wants to kick up a fuss and say, well, look, I gave a billion to the Democrats, then yeah, it's it's the Epstein treatment. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, does anyone have any final thoughts on that one before we move on? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, um, Johnny, I think it, it's a kind of 50-50 split whether he'll get thrown under a bus and he'll be the sort of sacrificial lamb and then, you know, he'll, he'll take all the heat for the people that are sort of in the background or, or you know, whether he will, you know, as they say, sing like a canary and <laughs> try and take a few with him, at which point he'll uh, he'll be on the, you know, Clinton Christmas list. Yeah, well, I hope he does anyway. All right, on to the, on to the next one then. So this is obviously the, the big story of the year, uh, Russia-Ukraine. Uh, Nat, let's, let's start with you on that one. Um, well, uh, for, for me, um, it's obviously a massive distraction story that they can bring in and out of the uh, media when they, when, they need it, when they need it to. As we know, um, the, the media kind of runs um, uh, the public uh, public view all the time on anything. So they, it, you know, as we know with Zelensky, that he just he, that they just put it put it back in in and out whenever they need it to. I do think that there is there is something going going on there. Like obviously, some conspiracy theorists say there's you know there's no war at all there, or you know, no. I do think there is some conflict. All I do know is that we're not hearing the real story, and there is obviously a massive amount of money laundering. Um, and and the corruption 
uh, around the whole thing, um, which, which and they're using it again to their to their advantage because they can use they can blame that for the economic problems as well. They can also they can blame that for the politics. They can blame that for the cost of living crisis. They bring it in and out of the news. It's just a bit, you know. It reminds me very much in 1984 the, of the the ongoing um, battle between Eurasia, East Asia, and Oceania. Um, that 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 sat in the background for for for, for Big Brother's uh, purpose of control, and I feel there's a there's a kind of correlation to what's going there with Russia and Ukraine, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the the, the strange thing for me on that one is like I just don't see that much actual, you know imagery that you would look at yes. when a war is going on that you look it, at the t- you know it went like think think you know iraq and stuff you turn the tv on and you're seeing buildings collapse you're seeing all of this stuff you're seeing you know people shooting at planes whatever it is yeah. like I, I look at this and i'm like i you you hear a lot about it and i don't want to i'm not one of these people who's like well it's not happening at all there's obviously some kind of military operation yes. going on but it seems like there it seems just from the images we're seeing, I don't see the kind of carnage I would expect to see. You know, absolutely. That's what that's what I was saying. So you know, we know there was conflict conflict in the Donbass region for eight years before that, that this all kicked right. off. Anyway, so you know, we, we know those areas were having problems before, and I believe there probably are problems there, just not to the extent as we as we saw in COVID and and the media reporting. I just we just can't believe anything that's being reported, and that makes it really hard to have an opinion on doesn't it when you really can't believe anything that's coming out and 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 like you said we're not seeing um a proper war footage or you know you we've all got mobile phones now why aren't we seeing more mobile phone footage as well that's not happening either it's just again it seems to be very open to corruption and as critical thinkers we should be questioning you know what exactly is going on yeah, yeah. So, Mike, you're obviously kind of close to, to this conflict. And I know that you've mentioned a couple of times in your channel that before you actually moved to Poland, that this was one of the things that you thought before moving there was when you were kind of weighing up the, the risks and things that actually a potential war breaking out in the east of Europe was one of the things that you thought about. So uh, I'm interested to know kind of what what things are like in Poland, you know, being relatively close to this uh, conflict and, you know, just your opinions like on that conflict generally. Yeah, well, just in general about the idea of war, there's nothing more useful than a war. If you want to shift uh, large swaths of population from one place to another, it's extremely useful for that. It's extremely useful for getting rid of old infrastructure. It's extremely useful for creating the conditions to enact new political uh, solutions. So, you know, war is a very powerful tool in the wrong hands. So that's one of the reasons why war would be extremely liable to happen during this period of great transitions where we're having, you know, the great reset, let's say, you know, was bound to be a factor in that. Now, the war as it stands right now in Ukraine, yeah, it's very limited to certain regions. However, what we're really seeing, in my opinion, is something similar to what we saw in the phony war be before World War Two. You know, you had this period of a phony war where war was declared, there was some small skirmishes. However, most of what was happening was the two sides, Germany and Great Britain uh, at that point, where they were getting themselves ready for the war. And I think that is really where we are now. We're getting the world ready for something much bigger. And one of the reasons why I say this is right now, Poland is 
getting over 250,000. It wants to build its land army to over 250,000 people. And it's actually next year is forcing um, citizens who are of the right age to enroll and go do some national service and get ready and trained up. Now, this can be anyone. So it could be somebody that's got a veterinary degree or a degree in psychology and you have to do it. You know, if not, you will be fined or put in prison. So, you know, they're building the largest land army in Europe over here. And generally, when people build big armies, that's because they're going to use them. It's not to just keep them on the shelf. So we have to look maybe two or three years out on this one uh, and see where it could lead to. That's what I'd suggest people start to think about uh, in terms of this current war. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yuri, what's your, your thoughts on the Russia-Ukraine conflict and everything that's happened with that this year? I think um, it's another one of those where the uh, the first casualty of war is the truth, and um, I really, you know, I, I, the only thing I said early on in is that uh, putting aside the Ukrainian population because it's always innocent people that suffer, but there are no good guys in this this conflict. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not. I mean, I, I one of the best commentators I saw on it, there was a chap, I can't think of the guy's name now, but he's, he's um, uh, uh, based at the University of Chicago. He's a, a you know, foreign policy sort of academic. And, uh, you know, he explained in great detail, without condoning what Putin had done, he, he explained in great detail the context of it and, and, you know, how it was very easy for Putin particularly to sell the uh, conflict to the Russian people. Um, and um, Possibly and I think the, the thing that is very weird... Sorry, that's the one. Yeah, Mishima. That's him. Yeah, Mishima. Yeah, Mishima. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, since my, my brother was out in the Gulf in '91 in Gulf War One, and um, I was on holiday at the time in uh, on a skiing holiday in the French um, Pyrenees, and um, the hotel had um, Sky News on every night, and we we literally had 24-hour video coverage of that war in 1991. And yet here we are in the, you know, the, the, the mobile phone, smartphone age. And I don't think I've seen a single piece of like real footage from, from that conflict, which is just bizarre, really, if you think about it. And I imagine, you know, smartphone take up in Ukraine is pretty high. They're a pretty tech savvy population. So um, it just seems utterly bizarre that we've got this enormous, you know, European conflict going on and very little actual evidence of it taking place. Um, I, and, and I think there's somebody, the thing that struck me as well, some, um, there was a comment, I think it was, um, might have been Jordan Peterson actually recently, that said um, at some point, you know, you might not like the positions that people are in, but, you know, there are no voices for peace taking place. Nobody is saying actually, you know, the, the Donbass region, sort of eastern Ukraine, are pretty happy with having Russia in charge. Um, the rest of Ukraine isn't very, sort of, you know, they're not very um, friendly towards that particular region. It's not satisfactory because nobody wants to cede territory through conflict. But at the same time, if it means that, you know, people stop dying, there's, there's a deal to be done, I think. And, and yet nobody seems to be pressing for that. So... I confess to being utterly confused by the whole thing, and despite having, you know, tried quite hard to get under the skin of it, so yeah, I mean, very I'm, helpful, I'm, I'm, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of worried, really, about like when you when you see the kind of vilification of Putin and the way that he's kind of been 
just cast out now of the international order. My worry is like, how do you walk back from that? You know, like even if this, even if this conflict um, kind of reduced to some level and that it was coming to some kind of agreement, like it, it's so hard to walk back from the level of kind of vilification and, you know, this guy being, you know, the ultimate, you know, evil guy. And, and I'm sure that he is a, a really bad guy. You know, he might be an evil guy. Like, I, I actually just don't know. I think that there's probably blame on, on both parts. You know, Ukraine, we've known for a long time, Ukraine is an incredibly corrupt country. It was rated worse than Russia on the corruption scale before this this began. Obviously, now, you know, we're supposed to think that Ukraine is, you know, has no corruption and Zelensky is just, you know, an, an angel, etc. I'm sure there's blame on both parts and there's untruths coming from both parts. But my worry is because the international order has kind of taken this stance against Putin, like he is the he's the enemy and, you know, we cannot um, ever recover from this. We can't move on until Putin's gone. You know, once you've kind of set that precedent, it, you're, you're almost closing the door to a, a peaceful uh, solution anyway. I think really all this started when when um, when Russia was uh, banned from the, I think it was the G8 when it became the G7 and Russia was cast out from that. You know, when things like that happen, you make it very, very difficult to have proper, you know, working international order, you know, where people aren't warring with each other because you close off those diplomatic avenues. Um, Dan, what's your thoughts on this whole thing? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've gone on a bit of a journey with this one because, of course, I've started off, you know, not being familiar with the country or, or, or the history of the areas. Although what I will say is that immediately my bullshit sensor went off because you had the same techniques of um, a, a single line spread across all media and and all government. And, you know, and, and I, watch, I watch these things very closely. So for me, the, the, the night and day difference over COVID, say, between that first press conference and the second press conference, when they basically, you could see for the first one they were reacting honestly, and the second one they had got together and they had a meeting and they decided how they were going to respond and how they were going to play it. And the same thing happened with the, um, with the Ukraine conflict, in that it started out, media started reporting on it, and, you know, they, they didn't say very much to it. Um, and then within a couple of days, you can see that they had all spoken to their handlers, um, in the intelligence services or, or, or the government or wherever it was, and, and, and the line to take um, had, had been dispersed and gone out. And basically over the course of the last year, I've been sort of getting myself up to speed on what's happening out there. And I, 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 I've, I've basically formed a view which is completely at odds with where the mainstream media is. And, and I basically view it now more as um, Ukrainian civil war um, rather, than, rather than a war with Russia. In fact, I think Russia is... Um, I mean, of course, they are a player in this, but to the extent where, you know, for, for, for the first several months, the people doing the fighting were um, the Donbass militia who were being supported um, by Russia. And that's why the mainstream media here in the government are so keen to airbrush out any possible differences in terms of points of view of, of the Ukrainians. They present the Ukrainians as being all of one mind. They all have the same opinion. Um, they all have the same ethnicity. And if you just look at, I mean, just look at the ethnicity. If you look at an ethnicity map of uh, of Ukraine, um, you'll see that the sort of Kiev region is a very different ethnicity to, to, to the Donbass. You've got lots of ethnic uh, Russians and Russian speakers around that sort of area. Um, and the, don't forget that you know, Donetsk City has been shelled um, for eight years. I actually know somebody who had to move um, from Donetsk um, actually into Russia uh, because he was fed up of, of, of living in a city that was getting shelled by the Kiev regime. So when you when you reformat it and you start looking at the conflict as, as essentially Ukrainian civil war, 
um, with the great powers involved. And the great powers are Russia, who are um, on one side, and basically the US, who is, is sort of leading um, Europe around by the nose um, to institute um, basically their agenda, which is they see an opportunity to, to weaken a geopolitical rival. And the geopolitical rival that I'm actually talking about is not Russia, it's the EU. There is only one viable alternative to the US dollar, and that's the euro at the moment. Um, others may emerge in time, but at the moment it's the euro. And what the US has managed to do is get Europe to cut itself off from its own energy supply. Germany has basically deindustrialized itself. Germany is a two trillion economy, but that two trillion economy is on a on a on a foundation of twenty billion of of cheap Russian energy, and that's been knocked out from beneath it. It is. What Germany is going to go through over the next few years is going to be remarkable in terms of um, the uh, destruction of their economy. So what the US has essentially done is it's managed to, um, you know, harm two rivals. It's 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 got the Ukrainians um, and the um, and the Russians to to kill each other and drain down their resources. They managed to get um, Europe to self implode, um, and and they're sort of you know sitting pretty on the other side. So when you when you view it as a as a civil war which is being manipulated by um exterior great powers, primarily the US, you, you come away with a completely different perspective on on the crisis. Um and on the point of making peace, the problem is that the US does not want peace and they're able to move their uh, pieces around in Europe to ensure that it doesn't happen. There was a point back in um possibly April I think it was when um uh, oh, the you, uh, zelensky started talking about you know maybe we can we can find a settlement that works and then you saw boris johnson fly over there and and basically talk him out of it you know he I'm, and i'm sure he was doing that at the uh, the behest of the us uh, more recently of course we saw that pipeline blew up and you know we don't know the full story behind that but we do know that um 4 minutes after that pipeline blew up um liz Trust sent a, a text message to the um, to the State Department chief saying it's done. Um, you know, do you do you think though that because it, are we not just taking are we not just taking Russia's word on that? Like how how can we verify that that, that that's true? Um, well, the, the the text messages were leaked. There was a security breach, and and, and they haven't denied it. Um, you know that oh, okay. you know this is a this, this was a major breach of security. Uh, because you had um, government personnel, including the prime minister, using their personal phones rather than their secure um, right. GCH Q-issued phones. Yeah, because yeah, I saw that, and it, it almost seemed a little bit too James Bond for me. You know, like it's done four minutes after. It was almost a bit too convenient. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it may have happened. Yeah, I mean, I mean, discount any element of the story that you like. But um, you know, when I when I look at the whole picture, you know, like I say, what 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 I see is a, is a game being played. Um, by the, I mean, there are there are people in primarily probably the U.S. State Department who it doesn't prick their conscience in the slightest that two hundred thousand Ukrainians have been killed, but they don't care. You, you know, the, the, these are just um, pieces on a chessboard for them. They they literally couldn't give a toss um, that two hundred thousand people, um, you know, two hundred thousand families are now missing sons or, or fathers or brothers or whatever else. It simply doesn't matter to them. This is all just mm-hmm. a big geopolitical game to them. Um, and when you and when you see it in that lens, and you see the attempts to shut down a peace initiative whenever it whenever it kicks up, I mean it, it just took my contempt for Western governments and what they did to us over COVID, 
uh, and and it escalated it to a new high essentially and you know and and then then you, and then you start to realize of course that this is almost certainly not the first time that they've done it this is just the first time that i've been alive to what they're doing um you know how many past conflicts um have been engineered by basically psychopaths in in government roles um who who basically just just move us around and 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 when you're sort of thinking at that level you, you know you you start to realize that there is very little that they will not do um when they when they see us you know the the real people on the ground as basically a disposable resource to to achieve whatever geopolitical aim or whatever you know whatever financial aim whatever it is I, um, mm-hmm. I, I, if I could just comment on that one, yeah, uh, go ahead, Yuri. I, I, I remember, you know, probably back in the early eighties when um, the Ayatollah was installed in Iran, and he described the USA as the great Satan. And at the time, you know, I think like everybody else in the West, we were like, "That's outrageous!" You know, you know these mad mullahs, and and I think with each passing year, I understand more and more what he was talking about, and. It's quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I was, you know, uh, I've travelled a lot in the US and, and I, I've, there are really two Americas. There's the America of, you know, the genuine American people when you get out in the Midwest or in, you know, some of the flyover states. And they've been sold the same story that, that we have in that, you know, they, they, they sort of believe in this, you know, you can achieve anything you want and that America's a great place, it's the home of democracy. And as Dan said, you've then got the sort of the Washington State Department, you know, Council for Foreign Relations, and um, they really are like playing a game. In, and and the, the interesting thing with Germany, I mean, again, I've, I've worked a lot in Germany. I, um, my background is engineering. And so, you know, Germany was always the, the, the absolute benchmark of, um, you know, quality and productivity in terms of engineering. And um, because of the energy costs, there's actually a, there's a number of um, the sort of the middle strand companies that they talk about, which is essentially the backbone of the German economy. They're actually uh, either being acquired or relocate into the US. So as Dan says, that the Germany is effectively deindustrializing at the moment, and um, you know they they've probably had the best standard of living in Europe, you know, on a, on a sort of general level for you know twenty or thirty years, and. Um, the next 10 years are going to get pretty ugly in Germany, I think. And because, you know, they're, they're actually destroying the very thing that is the engine of their economy. And you kind of think that can only end badly for everybody concerned. Yeah, well, everything's just so interconnected now that, you know, this this war, I mean, it's very like, Dan, you said this on my podcast and it's, it, it's, it's really uh, stuck to me. And I think it was maybe maybe the second episode that we that we had. And you said, you know, it's very difficult to sanction the world's biggest producer of commodities. And and now we're not only sanctioning them, now we're going to active war with them and ceasing all kind of, of, of trading and diplomatic relationships. I mean, I, I just don't really see how this can how this can end well. And, and you know, especially when we're kind of going into this world where all this stuff that's not real is kind of going down the drain, you know, all this paper kind of bullshit, the paper money, the, the nonsense, you know, the even just the economies that are not based on anything real, the economies that are that are just kind of based on like service sector stuff that could kind of be cut in an instant. Like, and then you've got this, this massive um, country, Russia, with huge amounts of resources and stuff. And I just don't know how you really 
it's very difficult to go to war with a country like that because their what they have to offer the world is going up in value and what the west has to offer and in particular america basically all it has to offer is just you know paper you know kind of trash can money um that's what they have to offer and it's going down in value so it's almost like this power shift is happening in russia you know this russia ukraine war is like the perfect almost metaphor for what's happening on like in geopolitics generally you know yeah, I mean, when you zoom out, that is ultimately what's happening here. What is ultimately happening is the Western um, or US hegemony is is coming to an end. Um, you know, the the Chinese economy, even if you measure it in US dollar terms, within the next couple of years will exceed the size of the US economy. And if you measure it in um, anything real, such as, you know, energy usage or, or purchasing power, um, parity than than it overtook uh, several years ago, back in twenty seventeen, and and ultimately where economic power goes, military power follows. So this era that we've been in for the last fifty years, which is the, a U.S. led world, is coming to an end, and that is the root of an awful lot of the bad behaviour that we're seeing at the moment from from Western politicians is that they are suffering a fundamental lack of confidence because they realise that they are being usurped and that we are living through the last few years of this of this period of, of Western domination. And and to your point more lastly, I mean, yeah, absolutely. What is it that the um that Europe and, and the US make will, will we make money at the moment? And I don't mean that we go out and we work hard and we, we produce I don't mean it in the old fashioned way that we make money. I mean we literally make money out of thin air. That that's that's our sort of primary um, method of 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 you know getting what we want at the moment, especially with the sort of U.S. petrodollar and and the amount of debt that they pump out. Whereas you got the you know the eastern side, um, Russia is the world's biggest um, energy exporter, the biggest exporter of wheat, um, you know the biggest holder of a lot of commodities. Um, and if you look at where they're going to be going in economic terms, they they are going to be going from basically off the bottom of the scale to something like the seventh largest economy. Um, China's going to be at the top. And then you're going to have a whole load of other Eastern countries. You're going to have Indonesia. You're going to have, um, uh, you're going to have India. Um, you're going to have an ally of theirs, Brazil, coming online as well. And what you're going to have is you're going to have the US in second place. And then way down the chart, you're going to have you know, if they're lucky, one or two Western European countries, but they're probably going to fall off as well because they, they don't literally produce anything. And and ultimately what it's going to lead to is a big reduction in living standards in the West, the big increase in living standards in the East, um, and also the sort of the cultural homogeny. That's that's going to change as well. And, you know, if, if nothing else, um, you know, of what we've talked about on this podcast, that is the root of everything. Everything else is almost a, a symptom coming from that fundamental shift um and, mm -hmm. and these happen mm -hmm. very rarely you know they happen you know it's it's really once a, once a century or more type event i mean actually you know the, these sort of um changes of of sort of superpower status they tend to happen every sort of 250 odd years roughly and, we, and we're going to be living through one of those at the moment um and you know it's it it, it, it changes everything uh, and it and it and it knocks us down a peg, and and that's why we're seeing you know not not only bad behaviour against its own citizens who they feel they need to control because they realise the living standards are about to drop sharply, and people are going to push back on that once they realise, uh, but also this is their last gasp to play their big geopolitical games and, and do their military manoeuvres, and and they feel that it is easier 
um, to get Ukrainians to die for them than it is to, to do it themselves. And, and they're seriously pondering. I mean, I'm sure a lot of time in the US is being spent at the moment is do we um, try and engineer a, a Taiwan situation prematurely? Uh, because China mm. probably wants that conflict, but they don't want it for you know maybe another fifteen twenty years yeah, when their uh, military yeah. power meets their their economic power. Right, right. Um, did you want to jump in there, uh, Yuri? Um, I, I, I was sort of just sat here nodding, agreeing with Dan. Really, I mean, I think the, the Taiwan thing. I think he's right. I think in ten years' time, China would probably invoke it, but I think you know they're just not quite there yet. They don't have the sort of expeditionary capabilities and the, the you know, naval power that the US has. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, I, I suppose the, the interesting thing for me is like, I think, you know, it's beyond doubt now that, you know, what that's what's happening is that, you know, the, the, the whole shift of the global economy is shifting east. Um, and I mean, the West reminds me of a sort of, it's like a, you know, particularly in the US really, it's like a fading actress that's, you know, trying to kind of still get the role you know that she got when she was in her you know 30s and and still pretending to you know and, and rather than growing old gracefully and sort of accepting you know reality um we've just tried to maintain this um illusion really of sort of productivity and prosperity that as, as dan said is entirely built on you know inflated money and and, and you know printed money and um it, i mean it's interesting because, I mean, I, my background, as I said, is manufacturing. And I, I often hear, you know, people say, oh, we don't make anything anymore. And I mean, actually, the UK does. We've still got a relatively healthy manufacturing sector. I think we're about the eighth, seventh or eighth, or we were at least a year or two ago, um, manufacturing um, base in the world. But it's, it's probably heavily skewed to sort of certain industries. And um, mm -hmm. ironically, as, you know, some of our biggest companies are defence contractors, people like BAE Systems and... Um, Rolls-Royce who are, you know, producing weapons, a significant proportion of which are going to the US anyway. So, um, right. I suppose my question, I mean, the bit I'm interested to explore maybe is just like, is all this, I mean, if, apart from the fact that it will have a potentially catastrophic effect on our living standards, is it a bad thing? <laughs> That's a bit well, of a let's, let's, let's throw it over, over to Mike because, um, Mike, uh, I know that you've talked quite a lot about this conflict and they're kind of the change in nature of the geopolitical order. So do you want to kind of um, like just uh, respond to that? Like maybe maybe we can bookend it with your with your comment before we move on to the next one. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting situation. It's got a lot of historic parallels to the period between, let's say, 1990 and 1945, 1950, where you had this changing of the guard. You know, you had the end of the British Empire. Really, that was seen in the late 1800s when we saw huge shifts in manufacturing and the amount of uh, global commodities that were being used by countries such as Germany, uh, also the US too. So you had these up-and-comers and, you know, you can talk about the elites and how they like to manufacture situations, but the end result is we also do have a world in which genuine conflicts do happen. So, you know what I mean? No matter which way you spin it, the wars do happen. You can say, oh, it looks fake, this, that, and the other. Well, I can guarantee you that World War One was engineered, World War Two was engineered. The global elites all had the fingers in the pies. If you look at World War Two in terms of how Germany managed to reindustrialize after World War One and after a hyperinflation, it was because of 
Wall Street money and Western money. You know, the Bank of England was transferring money to the central bank in Germany, and that was between the wars. So essentially, the Second World War was funded by the elites in the West. So, you know, I'd hazard a guess that what's happening right now is something very similar. We see the rise of China. There is going to be a conflict there. It has to happen some way or another. I think we're in the early stages of that. And a lot of the things that are happening are simply to maneuver positions for that. So Russia, of course, is a key part of this. It has a lot of commodities, as everyone said. They've got about double the amount in terms of underground worth as the US. So the US has about 40 trillion worth underground and Russia has about 80 trillion. And Russia's paired up with China to start to develop the next financial system. Now, the financial system, if that precedes anything else, it will bring down the US right away because of the debt Ponzi scheme we've got over here. So the US has to try and slow that down. And the easiest way to do that is through Russia. Uh, Russia's, yeah, it's got a lot of commodities, but it's very um, deficient in technology. You know, Russia's about 50, 60 years behind in technology. It would have to completely start again. It would have to get its education systems up, research and development. So it's dependent on China. Now, China's become dependent on Russia for essentially helping it to engender this new financial system. So they've got a mutual benefit there. And obviously, Russia can send its commodities to China. So really, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the US try and slow everything down. Uh, however, I think it's inevitable what we're really going to see over the next, like, so let's say, three decades up to 2050 is just the Western elites position themselves as best as they can to ensure that it's not a hard fall for them. And they retain power. They retain power over the populaces. Of course, the WEF's agenda fits very well in with that because it gives the European people an excuse for what's happening. You know, it gives them a narrative. Oh, we're doing it to save the planet. No, they're not doing it to save the planet. They're doing it because there's a global wealth transfer, a global power transfer, and they want their foot at the table. You know, they don't want to be 10 places down, like uh, Dan said. You know, they want to be as high up as they can in that league table for as long as possible. Uh, so they're going to keep doing what they do and you know, we're going to experience it as lots and lots of crises, mini crises. But there is the potential for a huge, massive war, too. You know, that's what happened in the 19, um, 1910s, 1930s. So, you know, I would be very careful about just dismissing what's happening, too. These are huge global changes. Uh, we've never seen anything like this during our lifetime. And the shift of power from west to east, that's something that only comes around once every 500 years or so. So these are massive changes. We have to be aware uh, the anti-war sentiment is key, I think, is just to cut through all the rest of it and just say, listen, we don't want war. We don't want war. That's it. Full stop. You know, we can talk about the political solutions. We can talk about, you know, saving the planet, all those things. But war is off the table. And that's that's just the way I play this one, because we're not going to know it all. You know, it's very complicated. Uh, we can have all of our our ideas. However, there is. You know, there are actual political skirmishes going on. But for us as people and individuals, I think just keeping that anti-war sentiment is key. Yeah, 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 absolutely. All right, cool. Let's let's uh, start moving on to some, some lighter topics anyway. Uh, first, the first one, and I want to go to, to Nat first on this because I know that she has some, some particularly strong opinions, um, is Elon and his takeover of Twitter. So, Nat, take it um, away. Um, yeah, I'm probably fairly controversial on this one, but um, I am no fan of Elon Musk whatsoever. I do not believe he's on our side. And, um, 
yeah, I just, I, I, I just actually really quite dis, dislike him. I dislike these, the way these Twitter files have been announced, like it's some Hollywood commercial. Like, oh, it's there's been, of course, it, it just feels like that. Um, he's all part of the same agenda. It just so happened to be announced the Twitter files at the same time as the Harry and Meghan documentary came out at the same time, like that was all planned. And there's been no arrests, there's been no investigations. He's already, uh, he's he's banned parody accounts at the same time as he put a tweet out saying, um, oh no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, censor or, or delete the Twitter account that was uh, seeing my um, planes, uh, tracking my planes and he's gone and obviously deleted him as well he's gone back on his word on everything he hasn't actually given any normal people their accounts back like 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 me i just i think i'm a bit disillusioned with the movement at the moment because i just the amount of people who are celebrity worshiping worshiping elon musk on the freedom movement is starting to really get get on my nerves and i and i i'm i i'm finding it very difficult to relate to many people in the movement it's like they worship him like other people worship kim kardashian or the such likes he's our hero he's our savior or the free the the free for savior of free speech rubbish in my opinion anyway (laughs) yeah that's my rant that's my rant (laughs) Has, have you been have you been invited invited back they had this amnesty for people who've been banned does that, that come your way rubbish i don't believe any of it i just feel like i just feel like the people i feel like, like psychology is my area and i believe that that basically there were there were more people than they than they assumed would not fall for the covid narrative right and that, so there was a bigger, bigger freedom movement, if you like, than they had planned. And so what this part of Elon Musk now is is like they're actually fooling the freedom movement and people are getting behind him and not having any real resistance because they believe this man is on, is on our side, like it's behavioral psychology. They're like they're, they're throwing. He's throwing you no different to when they were throwing us crumbs of our freedom. He's throwing you crumbs of free speech and people lapping it up and like, oh, isn't he wonderful? He's going to give me my account back. He isn't going to give you your account back. It's all a complete and a lie and a distraction. He's given some high profile people their account back. He isn't going to give people my, my account back. And he isn't. And, and he's not. He doesn't. He does nothing for free speech. His actions so far, you know, you know, everything he's done so far. And we know he's he pushes electric cars. He's. He's, uh, you know, it, he's he's recently been been done for a, um, animal cruelty. He's Neuralink itself is about mi- mi- microchipping and 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 brain brain control to a degree. He's not on our side, and I just I know people will probably disagree with me. I've got quite strong opinions on it, but yeah, I, I I'm really struggling with the movement and people celebrity celebrity worship of I've had to come off social media because I just it's there every single time every single time you go on it uh, you know or uh, every kind of um like, like truth social any of those getters oh Elon worshiping again oh, I just can't bear it I just can't bear it he's an elite you don't get that high up in business by being a good guy yeah, so Nat doesn't have particularly strong opinions on that one. Yuri? Well, it, I, it's interesting, actually. I mean, I, I, I don't 
you know, no, I've got no idea whether he's a good guy or not. But I mean, two things I would say is that it's tremendous fun watching it. I mean, he, he's absolutely triggering all the right people. And, so that's what I mean. You know, are we not fall, are we not falling for? Like, no, but it's no, 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 no. I'm I not, can't bear it's, it's story. Just I don't funny. find it entertaining. It's, it's just funny. I don't but, um, <laughs> and um, but I tell you what was interesting. Um, there was a photograph came out today. So Elon Musk was. Um, photographed in the uh, press box with um, Jared Kushner at the World Cup final in Paris uh, sorry not uh, in Qatar um, which is rather interesting I thought given you know his um, political persuasions um, and um, I mean the third thing is, is I, the, the thing that nobody talks about now which I find fascinating as well is the fact that like how is Twitter worth 44 billion dollars and like it's like you know, in no, there's there's no sane world where, you know, Twitter is worth that kind of, of, you know. It so, can be a form of control sorry. for the elite, though. That's the point. If he buys a social media account and he's trying to push it to X, and that can be the start of a social credit system, like he's already pushing, you're going to get rewards on your account and punishments on your Twitter account, and you're all going to have different colours depending on who you are. It it could be you're saying what potentially imagine what you could do with that what can you do with that in the future you know well you say that though now but i mean relatively speaking twitter is a niche social media i mean it's got it's probably got a disproportionate profile because it's predominant it's dominated by sort of the media and uh, you know politicians particularly but in terms of active users compared to say facebook or even instagram and probably even tiktok now it's, it's, it's still the baby in terms of active users. I mean, it only had, I think it had 400 million registered users. And that I think, you know, given that probably 70% of those are bots or just, you know, dodgy accounts, it's probably only got 150 million active users, but, you know, which is still a lot of people, don't get me wrong. But. To start his new X, this, is, this, this isn't, Twitter isn't where he wants to go with this. He's got a whole that's that's what that that's the point. It's he's not bought it for what he for what the purpose is now. It's for what he can get in the future out of the uh, out of the media. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm on the fence because um, I, I I watched the uh, there was that documentary on him recently, and um, he's he's an interesting guy. I mean, that's as much as I always say. I mean, I, I you know I don't. I'm not on the fence. <laughs> yeah, go on, Mike. Yeah, basically what I was going to ask is, do people really believe that this is Elon buying Twitter because he really wanted to own this platform? Or could it just be that Elon has his own handlers and this is something that he was told to do? Because it seems to me awfully uh, beneficial. It's just another uh, part of this whole theater that we're seeing. It stares up division. Uh, it keeps people distracted. You know, we saw this as well with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. It's just things that keep coming out to titillate people, get them all angry and in a tears. And while all that's happening, we've got all of this genuine dystopia that really is going to affect our lives just going under the radar. So to me, I I mean, I really don't care about this. However, I do just describe it to this whole theater that just seems to be unrolled for us you know just to keep us all excited and arguing and shouting rather than actually focusing on what matters which is that our very real freedoms are being taken away from us i agree with mike actually entirely i mean it's it, you know all the world's a stage you know is is and um <clears throat> you know you just 
if you operate in those kind of spheres, you know, when you're in the the league of, you know, allegedly paying forty four billion dollars for a, you know, a social media app that probably doesn't even have any revenues, any serious revenues, um, you know, that, that these are just kind of manoeuvres, aren't they? That that you know, these are things that are so far out of the kind of domain of ordinary people that. You know, there's there's always an ulterior motive, I suppose. Um, but I think the point I was trying to make is that you can you can be cognizant of that, but still enjoy the show at the same time, because you know just take take some pleasure when you can find it occasionally, um, because it, it doesn't change the fact that the, the the direction of travel is the same. You know, all of this is all moving towards a digital society, you know, a transhumanist society. Um, which, you know, I wouldn't mind so much if it was if there was a, you know, just a clear choice as to whether or not you participate. The issue I have, and I'm, I'm sure we all have, is the fact that um, it's very clear that you essentially won't be given a choice as to whether you participate or not. If you want to have any kind of, you know, vaguely human existence. Um, so and, and, you know, he, he may come at it from a different angle. But the direction of travel is the same. You know, he's he's sort of. I think that my my take on on um, Musk is that he you know he loves the technology. If you look at the stuff he's done, you know, with Tesla and SpaceX, and you know he he he, he clearly is an ex- extraordinarily you know intelligent and gifted person, um, and incredibly driven as well. I mean, I, I, it's quite interesting when I watched the uh, documentary about Tesla. I mean. Tesla was an absolute, you know, car crash in its early days. And, you know, they, the first batch of Teslas or Roadsters were, I think, 18 months late when they got delivered. Um, and, and there was obviously some serious hitters in the background, you know, massaging the PR and the, the fallout. Because in normal circumstances, if you or I tried to, you know, create a product that was 18 months late to some very high profile, very powerful customers you'd probably wake up one morning at the bottom of the Thames or something. So, um, um, but I think, you know, he, he, he's, he's an interesting character and, and um, I'm, I'm just taking some, some pleasure from the process currently while still doing all the same things I was doing, you know, a year ago in terms of being as prepared as I can for what's been coming down the tracks, I suppose is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Dan? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to annoy everybody because I'm not on the fence either, but uh, I'm the other side. I am a bit of a Tesla fanboy, um, an Elon Musk fanboy, I'm afraid. Um, now, my, my, my view on that is probably going to be um, coloured from I have followed Elon incredibly closely. And the reason for that is, you know, I looked at Tesla, the company, about three years ago and thought that it was an obvious short um, that I was I was going to sell down on it um, without owning the shares, so it's going short on them. But before I make any investment, I researched the other side of things really closely. So I watched basically every interview that he'd ever given, piled through the through the accounts, and I ended up buying really heavily into into Tesla shares when they were when they were twelve dollars, and I think they're about one hundred and fifty now. So that does colour my perspective um, somewhat. But I, I, <laughs> nice I, I followed him closely. Yeah. Um, I do know that he was very against lockdowns. They say that they. Um, 
they fundamentally damaged his 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 view of humanity. So I think he has a lot of the same view of us. Now I don't think he's exactly one of us, but he is sort of adjacent to us. And the big thing with him is they took his son. So his son um, basically got caught up in that whole trans woke agenda and started chopping bits off, and now identifies as a as a as a woman. Um, and really, I never heard yeah, that. And his, when his he, son is transsexual. Well, it's well, trans, yeah. Whole and, family, um, his whole family, his stepdad had married his his his. Um, so, yeah, that's a weird I, one. I don't isn't think it? He, yeah, his whole family is weird. Yeah, he won't be the only person to have a weird family. When you say um, like they took his son, do you mean that like he's against this kind of whole ideology? Like so, he's so, the, so the against... way he sees it is that that woke is a is a bit of a cancer, and and what it did to his son, who, who, who now identifies as a woman, you know, obviously affected him greatly. And he, I, he, I think he is genuinely against the woke stuff. Now, look, I, I, I put it like this: yes, he is a billionaire. Yes, he's he's part of the elite. But I mean. You know, look how many of us have taken our view, despite the fact that our next door neighbours, our families, our colleagues are all a complete bunch of normies. And I think that applies across all the social stratas as well. It is possible to have somebody who is a member of the elite, somebody who is a billionaire, who has also arrived at our view. It's just that we are, you know, we are the sort of the 1%. And I don't think he's exactly where we are, but he's close enough. Um, and that he he has decided that this woke agenda is something that needs to be needs to be pushed back against. So, um, I, I I think probably aware of a lot of it, what of the lot of the scepticism on our side comes from is that we have to be sceptical of all of these characters because you know ninety nine times well more than ninety nine times out of a hundred being incredibly sceptical of them is exactly the right thing to do. Um, but on this particular case, um, you know I. I actually extend the guy some credit. Nat, do you want to do you want to close that one off with your, I'm more your final round? I'm disappointed in the people who are awake that now that that now follow Elon Musk and have faith in Elon Musk than 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 the normies that took the vaccine. I just I can't. I'm really struggling to relate to the whole movement that are just following this. This I, I just I can't. I'm really struggling with it. I'm. I'm uh, everywhere I go, I get messages on on my on my social medias, just like it's like you know Q and Donald Trump and trust the plan. It all just seems so similar, and I just I it's not for me. I don't I don't. Uh, he's in a different world to me, and I I can't I can't I I I can't. I'm so far from where you guys sit on this. I actually really struggle with it, and uh, and it makes me re. It makes me quite disillusioned and despondent with the freedom movement, to be honest. You know, he, he's not even, literally, he's, he's not done anything. He said, he's not ever going to return my account. I haven't got my Twitter account. You've all got Twitter accounts. I've not got a Twitter account. He's not going to return that to me, is he? Of course he's not. He's still there going, oh, isn't he wonderful? He, you're not even allowed to have a parody account anymore on Twitter without saying parody account. He's still deleting people left, right and centre. His tweets send, give me the heebie-jeebies. They're dicto- dictator-like. Oh, I just, I'm just in a completely different place, I'm afraid. And, 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 and I, yeah, I, it, I can't get it at all. And, it, and it's really ma- making me fall away from the movement, which is exactly what I believe Elon Musk was there to do as well, to stop any real resistance while everybody worships the ground he walks on, the billionaire man. Yeah, I mean, 
he's he's definitely caught he's definitely caused like a rift i would say that there's been a few rifts since the covid thing kicked off where people have gone one side or the other you kind of had like the queen you know which is like oh, there was a bunch of people being like oh no the queen's great and everything and then that caused a bit of a rift and then there was like the russian ukraine thing and i think that elon has been the most divisive hey. one yet it's almost like you've got this 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 real split I, with people being like no really he's part of this all to like i said it really for me i'm you know divide and conquer i'm aware of that but i can't i literally can't can't relate to people that 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 have faith in a in an elite billionaire who pushes electric cars push the vaccine pushes transhumanism i can't i can't even understand where people are from and they say that they're awake i don't know look i'm in a Okay. To be fair, he he did not he did not push the vaccine. Uh, there, there's loads of the tweets he's pushed that that, that he was way in favour of the vaccine. There's absolutely loads of them. So, at the so day, I mean, well, he he didn't apply a mandate to any of his staff, and he did basically basically sue the California government over the lockdown. So, look, I'm not saying I'm not saying that he's one of us. I'm saying that he shares many of the that's same not good enemies. Good enough for me when you're an elite billionaire. I'm a single yeah, mum. I can't. You, I, you know, I'm not. If if you're if you're holding out for purism, people who are 100 percent where we are on everything, yeah. then you're going to be disappointed. You sound like Ben Irving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but ben, ben Irving doesn't doesn't believe that that, there, that there's any kind of conspiracy whatsoever. He just believes that it's all. It's all cock up. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of haven't had no, enough of that dude. I was going to say, is the thing, the thing is, I still hold a huge amount of um, skepticism about, you know, Elon Musk. But it's a case of like, I mean, I, I had the pleasure, actually. I'm not sure if it's a pleasure, but I was out um, uh, last summer. A friend of mine um, owns a bit of land out in the sticks and um it, it has the benefit of being very dark at night and we camped out overnight and um, I actually saw the Starlink satellites go over. I don't know if anyone's ever seen them. It's a, it's a oh, yeah, surreal, yeah. It's a surreal yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? sight. It is a, I actually found it quite disturbing in a, in a sort of strange way because, you know, it, it's, it's just what you would imagine an alien landing would look mm. like. You know, it was like a whole stream of these like moving lights and uh, really to see it is quite something to see. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of the one thing that I, you know, I just I think what he's doing, actually, whether it's by design or, you know, by accident, a bit of both, maybe. But he is exposing some of the things that we suspected, you know, confidently for a long time in terms of like, for example, how, you know, a, you know particularly any account that was questioning the covid narrative was heavily suppressed. And that's all been put into the public domain. There's no I mean, the disappointing no, thing no about invest, it. No real I mean, investigations. That's the point. You. No, no, that, I was going to say that. That's the problem. Awake people, so they all feel like he's on our side when really he's not actually doing anything. Nothing's actually happened from any of it, and you're all sitting there cheering. But it's not. It's not for him to do it, though, is it? That's the point. It's like it's it's you know that's the sort of thing that would have to be investigated by, I don't know the 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 their equivalent of Ofcom or the you know. But, that, but that's what I mean. The Twitter what, files but, have done nothing um, apart from placate people on our side. I think there's a savior. Well, no, that's, is that what it's designed what, to what do? What they've done that, is just, isn't that the plan? I mean, certainly for me, it's it's validated. You know, up to that point, it was it was only speculation, really. But you know, we now can be confident that 
you know, what we were suspecting to be the case is, is absolutely true. So, um, you know, and the problem is, is that and this has been, you know, it's, it's no accident in terms of why I chose, you know, my Twitter handle, my Yuri Bezmanov, because this is exactly the problem that the Western sort of civilization has had for 25, 30 years at least, where even when the evidence is like incontrovertible and, you know, the facts are staring people in the face, people just don't accept it. They don't want to do anything with it. And the, um, you know, the sort of the capture of the, the legal establishment and the media is almost so complete now that, you know, I said it earlier on, you know, it feels to me like we're in, in, a, in a post-legal world where, um, you know, the, the, the legal system is really only there to protect vested interests and that it's not not got any interest in the pursuit of sort of truth and justice. And um, it, it, it doesn't help us because, like, we're no further forward. But, you know, the small consolation I take from it is that I was bloody right. I don't have any consolation because <laughs> I still don't have an account, Yuri, because I don't think he's... Ever- back that's well, my no. point you could you probably have to you probably have to ask for it back to be fair no apparently he's supposed yeah. to do it automatically like this oh, people right, are just supposed yeah. to get their accounts back so right. yeah I, I don't know that seems, it, that that whole account giving back thing seems strange because you know you get loads of these big people with lots of followers who are like oh hey i'm back and everyone's sharing but actually like speaking to you know average average people average twitter people who aren't like blue so checks to me, don't that, seem that to, makes everything seem to worse them, so. that, is that not a part Yes, if it's, it's yeah, exactly. If it's selective, it almost is. Yeah. It does. It does also beg the question: is that you know, you, you, it does call into question then that. Well, it, it's, there's a number of media sort of personalities in the UK that you know claim to be sort of, um, you know, sort of on the side of you know truth and, and all those sorts of things. But um, you know, they all play the game, and and and. Um, I mean, there's a couple of characters. I won't name names because it's probably not fair, and it might be might be libelous, so I won't. <laughs> but um, you know, some some quite high profile, you know, that have, have managed to kind of create a niche for themselves as being, you know, sort of, you know, anti-lockdown and um, you know, on the side of truth and all those sorts of things. Basically, um, and yeah, and basically are, are exploiting people and, and, you know, flipped as well. I mean, and to me, this is something you can't flip on. You know, you were either there at the beginning. Um, it's not, I, I don't see how you can suddenly decide that lockdowns and vaccine mandates, oh, yeah, they really are a bad thing, you know, thinking they were okay two years ago. I mean, I just don't buy that. That's purely opportunistic. Yeah. Can I can I jump in on some of these prior points? Because look, I, I just want to say that what what the left is good at is for thirty or forty years they have accepted small victories that add up to be quite significant over time. Now, look, if this were a movie, the Twitter files would drop and then people would get arrested and Biden would admit that the election was stolen and you know there there would be a sort of change of regime overnight. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work like that. These these are small slices. I mean, it's, to exactly to, to Yuri's point, and well, I mean, literally, you a bit Yuri Bezmanov rather than you know the the the, the gentleman who appropriates the name. But I mean, that that is you know, it is it is it. It is these these small wins get you a long way 
when you sort of when you continuously do them over a period of several decades and look where we've got to now is that you know elon came in and he 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 stopped all the pedo shit on twitter which is i think just by itself that is a significant win for some reason they couldn't do that in the last 12 years but he came along and did that within the first 12 weeks um, and on top of that, he's taken away their ability to have basically air superiority when it comes to the information wars. They know now that they're not impregnable on this stuff, but it has been exposed that the FBI was working with Twitter. And, you know, it is going to be incredibly disappointing because justice will not be done. But their their position has been slightly weakened. And if we can if we can deliver them a slight reduction in their power and do that every couple of months and do it for the next 30 years then we we can that is unfortunately the best we can turn it around and that and that is actually how they achieved this power in the first place they they never did it as an overnight thing it was one slice at a time and it got them a very long way because they they were unopposed and now they've got not necessarily great pushback but they they're being exposed um and and we can see them for what they are and they will escape justice but that they will hesitate next time they're they're trying to pull something off. Okay, let's uh, let's move on from this one because I think that we've kind of uh, like um, done that done that topic. It, it, you know, we we've got different opinions on stuff, which is great, right? Like we don't all all agree on everything. We're not here to necessarily to just just kind of like, all kind of sing from the same hymn sheet. You know, like we all have different opinions. But I think that at the end of the day, I think you know we're all re- remaining skeptical. I think that even if you for now might think that he's done some good some good things, like at the end of the day, if he tries to turn Twitter into some kind of you know uh, like dystopia of social credit scores and stuff like the important thing is to be alert to that right so like i think that at the end of the day if that happens if that happens we'll all end up um being on the same side of this one um let's let's uh how are you doing for time by the way dad i know you said uh you said two hours and we've just gone over that are you good for another like 10 15 minutes so just unmuting myself yeah that's fine i'll, I'll go and get myself a uh, one more beer but otherwise yeah i'm hanging in there <laughs> okay cool all right we, we got we, we're nearly there we got uh we got the final thing let's try and keep this one like relatively short I, I said this, um, I, I think I sent this to, to all of you, uh, that one of the topics on here was going to be clown of the year. So I'll go last on this one. Um, why don't we uh, bring in Mike? Because Mike hasn't uh, spoken in a little while. Mike, do you want to give us your clown of the year? Who do you think um, is the person who should get that title, in your opinion? Yeah, well, we've got an awful lot of competition, as always seems to be the case now <laughs> since 2020. Uh, but... You know, I think, listen, I look at it this way. There is um, the clown of the year is the same. And I'm going to be a little bit of a sneak here and choose a group rather than just a single person. But the clown of the year for the third consecutive year is the general public. It's the general public because those are the ones that are sitting back and allowing the rest of the clowns to convince them that what they're seeing is real and what is happening to us is all legitimate and that people are not dying left, right and center and that we don't have huge excess deaths and, you know, that the money street system is fine and that it's all going to be fixed with just a little bit more money printing. So, yeah, I think the general public, sadly, they win the clown of the year award until they realize what is happening in this world and still until we start to see some pushback from uh, average Joe and Jane. They're going to continue to win that award for me, Johnny. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit, um, you know, I am a bit disheartened really by... Uh, what I've seen, I really expected this year just to see some shift. So basically, we need the NPC meme with all of the NPCs, and then we just need them with like clown noses. That's essentially like covers it for you, Mike. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the NPCs is a good term, but, you know, I think there's more to it than that. It's, you know, there are NPCs, there always has been throughout history, and uh, they're always going to be there. But there's also a lot of clever people out there that are living in the fake reality, and they know better, and they are better than that. We've all got friends and family who are clever people, and they know what's happening, but they are allowing themselves to live in the lie because they're terrified of the truth. You know, they're terrified of moving into the truth because they know what that means. To accept that we were right is actually to accept an awful, tragic future for ourselves. And it requires us to then get take responsibility to overcome that tragedy, to be the heroes of the story, to fix it. And that's an awful burden to carry. I mean, we're carrying it here. But the average person just wants to go back to normal, to live the con- continue living, it, living in that 2019, but it doesn't exist so, you know, it's those people, there are some people out there who could be changed, but they need to accept the reality of what's happening. And it's those people that I put the clown nose on. <laughs> the NPCs are always going to be here, but there are some clever people out there who know better. Nice, nice. Awesome. Yeah, I love it, Mike. All right, Yuri, clown of the year. Oh, I should have done some prep for this, shouldn't I? This is a huge long list. Um God, I don't know. I mean, should we circle back to you? Yeah, circle back. Give me a minute. All right, Dan. I'm going to have to go with the German government. I mean, I, I think I could apply to basically any European government at the moment, but the German government, what they have done with their utter implosion of their own economy, their own power base, for 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 the benefit of what? I mean, it's it's not their conflict. Um, but they've they've just taken the lead that the US have sort of pointed them in, and they they have self destructed, and, and and I'm I sort of say that it's you know it, it could apply to any of us. So I mean, bear in mind. Do you remember a couple of years ago when Hinkley Point, the nuclear power station, was coming on? It was a huge controversy that they guaranteed them uh, an energy price of I think it was um, ninety five pounds per megawatt. And that was seen as excessive at the time because back then we were sort of paying, you know, 55, 60 something per megawatt fairly regularly. So this was seen as some completely outrageous deal. Over the past year, you know, we've been paying um, an average of, you know, 400 per megawatt. And, um, you know, sometimes it goes up to 2000. You know, the the complete implosion of the energy situation in in Western Europe is, is, is impressive. But the extent to which it has been done in Germany because that was a country that went all in on cheap Russian energy. Um, it is just astonishing. And, and the drop in German living standards over the next decade is going to be truly impressive. And we, I think we're going to see a switch from um, the, uh, the, the main European power being Germany to probably Poland. Um, I, I can I can well see that happening over the next 20 years. And it was such a massively self-inflicted wound. I mean, it is... I mean, governments are capable of incompetence, but incompetence on that scale, that destructive, just truly impressive. So, I mean, it, it, I mean, they they could end up getting clown of the decade or possibly the century for for what they've done. Well, careful. There might be some some new entrant, entrance between now and then. Now and then, Dan, don't want to uh, don't want to make that claim too soon. Now, nah, clown of the year. Um, I'd give it to Matt Hancock. I think but that's like, a good one. Yeah, good, good option. I think you know to to go to turn from being a, a working MP to actually go on a reality TV show 
Um, and and I, I mean, I don't know whether you could say he's, he's a clown or he's a genius. I, you know, in the in the uh, he he can be he, he obviously brainwashed so many people, and he he had that affair, and suddenly everybody loves him again, and they think he's the best thing. To me, he'll always be a clown, though, for anybody that can see through the uh, sociopathic, narcissistic, you know. Uh, man that hit the yeah. man that he is but yeah so for me I can't I, I mean I wouldn't I boycotted the whole thing obviously I'm no, no fan of reality tv anyway but um for anybody that understands he's my clown of the year definitely yep okay Yuri okay right I've got one now so everybody oh. it's again I'll, I'll, I'll take a slight liberty but it's everybody that doesn't see a problem with the demise of cash you know, mm-hmm. the number okay. of people I meet, I, I was in a bar a few weeks ago and uh, it's a bar I used to go to regularly and they've gone cashless now, so card only. And I said to the, I, I ordered a beer and I said to the guy behind the counter, I said, this will be the last time I come to this establishment. And he said, well, why is that? I said, well, you don't take cash. And he, he said, well, why is that a problem? <laughs> like, it's like, where do you start answering that question? Um, so, yeah, everybody that thinks that, you know, the convenience of having, you know, Apple Pay and Google Pay on your phone, you know, is is, is fantastic at the expense of cash. Yeah. So my, my clown of the year, this is actually a very late entry. And, you know, I'm kind of hesitant, hesitant for this to be my clown of the year because it's a bit of a controversial one. But I think Jordan Peterson has made a late entry to this with his whole kind of tirade against anonymity. You know, this is a guy who's supposed to... to understand you know he's supposed to be a kind of free speech absolutist and now you know he wants any account which isn't registered and kyc and has a profile picture and a real name and a registered address he basically thinks they should all just be demoted to a second tier uh, account on twitter i mean for me it just takes an unbelievable uh kind of level of I don't even know what you call it. Like this guy has just, he's prided himself on this ideal. And then he's just, (laughs) yeah, he's just kind of flown in the face. It's just such a contradiction that I just can't really believe it. That's the question. Has he been got it? I don't know, maybe. Yeah. He was really pushing the vaccines at the start as well, wasn't he? After being somebody, I don't know if he pushed the actual mandates, but he certainly was um, like um, in favor of um, everybody getting the vaccine, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, well, I, well, I think that he, when he got it, he did have this video where he seemed genuinely kind of like he, he um, kind of angry, really, that he was coerced into getting it and all the rest of it. But again, even the fact that he did that under that coercion, this is a guy who's supposed to, like, that was his first failure, really. That His first big failure for me was just that, you know, that he went along and did what the government said. And it's like, isn't your entire thing the idea of, you know, you, you, don't, you speak truth to power? And then with this whole, you know, anonymity stuff, I was just like, I don't know what he stands for anymore. Like Jordan Peterson is undoing like a decade of good work in my view. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's a very good choice. I think Jordan Peterson is somebody that a lot of people had as their personal hero and he did inspire a lot of people and he certainly helped a lot of people too. But the thing with Jordan Peterson that I think we're starting to realize is that a lot of the things that he was discussing he was doing it in a very abstract abstract academic way i think he is an academic at heart and he can't transition from academic to being actually one of the foot soldiers in all of this the person that stands up front shoulder to shoulder with everyone else and i think that's his problem he likes his life he likes the cushy job he likes going to oxford to cambridge to sit and speak amongst these people and he cannot see 
that the very things that he was discussing all of this time is actually happening now. You know, he can't quite make that stretch of imagination. And I think a part of that is because he's very, very comfortable and he doesn't want to give up that life. He wants to kind of sit on that fence, which is why a lot of the things that we're seeing from him right now is very mainstream. You know, he's become very mainstream. He's completely lost his edge. And I don't think we should be looking to him in the future to be one of the leaders. I think what we'll see from him is Jordan Peterson jump on board once it's already been proven that it's safe to jump on board. You know, once Joe Rogan spoke about it, once Peter McCullough spoke about it, and then Jordan Peterson will say, yeah, I can I can do that now. And I think that's where he is. So personally, um, I don't look to him as anybody that's going to be a fault leader in the coming years. So that was just my take on Jordan Peterson. Okay, yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that, Mike. So this is the final thing, and I'm glad, Yuri, that you brought it up, because I actually didn't have it in my list. Normally I do it, and I didn't have it in my list for this one, but it's important to go over it, which is, um, well, I'll read exactly what Yuri said when he, when he messaged me back. He said, let's add one thing, which is, okay, we know it's all shit. How the hell do we make the best of it slash create a society we want? So, Yuri, let me throw that to you, since you were the one who suggested to append it to the list. Oh, I was hoping everyone else would come up with some ideas, because I, I ain't got many. Um... I just well. Why don't you talk about the stuff that you're doing? Because you know you're you're doing well, this, um, you know, this stuff, getting people together and yeah, doing meetups and stuff. That, I, I, that's important I'm, I'm work. Trying to, so. I'm trying to. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to do is create a network of people that ultimately, you know, I, I tweeted about it today. Actually, I think you know that, that we're so irreconcilable with sort of people that support you know the whole sort of transhumanist technocratic agenda you know we are literally a different species i think um and i don't see any other option other than effectively creating a completely different society um the the challenge we've got is like you know one of the big ones is like you know a banking system for example you know you know and maybe bitcoin is a significant part of that you know i mean i think a whether it's Bitcoin or some other similar currency. So you can see I'm a convert now, Johnny, but you know. Oh the, yeah, the, you're the, speaking my language are, now, Yuri. We are effectively, you know, slaves to the sort of global capital at the moment. And um, it, it dictates everything we do. So that, that seems to me to be the absolute sort of, you know, holy grail in terms of if you can, if you can fix that, you can do something, you know, very different. Okay, and uh, let's go to, you know what, let's, um, yeah, I'll, actually I'll go to Mike last on this one because I want to give him like uh, some, some breathing room on it. So, uh, Dan, what's the, uh, what's the way out? How do we build the society that we want? So this is something that I've been thinking about a great deal and it's why I've sort of completely changed my life about it, why I'm not going back into sort of normie finance type jobs, why I've, I've sort of switched to being a, effectively a content creator to push back on this stuff. And I think the, the best thing we can do is, and it, and it and it builds on my point earlier about what the what my perception of the Great Reset is. So my perception of the Great Reset is not so much a deliberate plan to crash the economy rather than they know that it's screwed anyway. So they want to um, build these control mechanisms so that they can transition to the other side and still be the wealthy and powerful ones on, on the other side. So for me, what it's all about is spreading the right ideas and giving people the right perspective for when that big crunch point comes. 
and it could be tomorrow, but my working assumption is that it's probably going to drag out over the rest of this decade. I think we're probably going to have a period of over the 2020s, this grinding period of ever lower living standards. It will be like the 70s, effectively, all over again, um, where people are getting squeezed, we're experiencing high inflation, the government doesn't seem functional. And when we go into the crunch point, rather than it being, in, it will be like the winter of discontent, except it will be on a, on a, on a, broader scale it will be western civilization as a whole so it will wrap up the whole angosphere it will wrap up um, western europe as well and when we go through that transition if everybody is still believing the government narrative then they will get away with it and they will transition to the other side and they will still be wealthy and powerful because people will just fall in line with you know the, the digital ids and the central bank digital currencies which will be used to control them going forward now if we can instill in people the right understanding as to why this is happening, it's not all because of Putin, it's mainly because of our own governments and our own voting habits over the last 30 or 40 years, then they won't get away with it. So, I mean, to put this um, in terms of what we've seen recently, you know, what would have happened over the whole COVID era if people just realised that the masks were bullshit and refused to wear them? And every time you walked into the shop, 90% of the people were not wearing them and just saying, no, I, this is this is nonsense. I think the lockdowns would have ended in half the time that they did, if even that, because the government yeah. that was a clear yeah. way for the government to see, no, people are not buying this bullshit. And it's it's things like that over the course of the next 10 years of when they come to us with the digital IDs and say, you know, this is more convenient, sign up for this. If people just say, no, I, I do not want it, I don't. I'm not getting involved in it. And when they come to us with a step after that, which is going to be the central bank digital currencies, which they'll probably sell to us with the universal basic income, they say, look, oh, people are suffering because of the crisis caused by, you know, some foreign actor. No, it's it's a crisis caused by this government. And they try and bribe us and they say, look, if you sign up for a central bank digital currency, you'll get a universal basic income of £50 a week or £100 a week or whatever it is. And if we can if we can reach people and say, look, guys, this is a trap. If you go on to this, you are going to be dependent on that forever and they will gradually take over every aspect of your life. And then once you are dependent on it and you're getting your £200 a week or whatever it is on your universal basic income and it's tied to your central bank digital currency, they're going to start saying, um, you can only benefit from this if you've got the right opinions. So we want to monitor your social media. We want to monitor your emails. We want to monitor every aspect. We want to, we want to monitor what, what TV programs you're watching and what YouTube programs you're, you're streaming. Everything will get tied in and they will try and lock us down. And if people stay in the same sheep-like normie state that they're in right now, they get away with it. But if we can wake people up in time before these technologies are ready and people push back hard against it, then we can win. And when that, when that financial crash happens, they will get wiped out and they will not get away with making the transition. So for me, it is all about that. It is all about talking, reaching as many people as possible. And that for mm -hmm. me means, you know, not being too much of a purist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably a bit more radical on a lot of this government stuff. I mean, I, I would see government reduced to, I don't know, the King's Butler and maybe like three other people. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously up for cutting the size of the state. But I'm but I have to work within a context of, you know, where everybody loves the NHS and they love, you know, a lot of the stuff that the government does and they can't imagine a road system that wasn't centrally planned and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we need to find mainstream solutions um, that reach as many people as possible, but help them understand that the reason we have these problems is because of, 
you know, the way we voted and the incentive system that governments have under under fiat money. And if we can if we can spread that enough, when this crash eventually happens, and I'm penciling it in for the end of this decade, the end of the 2020s, um, then the new system that is put in place afterwards will be informed by a much better set of assumptions as to how we got here. Okay, nice. Uh, Nat, how do we get out of this? Um, I think um, we need to be the change we want to see in the world. And for me, that means um, sometimes I feel like our side, I'm not, I feel like our side is, I see more hate at the moment on our side and the way that, that people talk about their sleep and the, there's a, there's a lot of anger at them. And I just, I, I think social media is an echo chamber for me personally. I try to get off social media less. I want to live in the present. I want to, I want to be positive around people, you know, like, I still see so much negativity about all oh, those that didn't wake up and those that took the vaccine and anger and stuff like that. I think we need to be more positive with people. You're not going to wake people up by having a go at them constantly, which is what I see all the time. Um, you know, I'm a very social person and uh, I, I'm talking to people uh, all the time about things, but in a positive way and certainly not trying to I think there's that, that I see it all the time in the movement at the, at the moment, still so much angle towards people. So for, for me, I'm just trying to, like I said, be positive, live in the present, but be informative and educational with people, but in a positive way, not in, not in a divisive way. So I think there's so much division already. Um, so that's kind of where. Mike, um, you know, you're obviously someone who has done a lot of stuff in your personal life to try to, kind of build a new world and you know your your channel is called parallel systems and you're really living that so do you just want to give some some kind of final words on like uh, how we can all uh, try and try and kind of build a new society going forward yeah so i think what people need to ask themselves is are we going to reform the system that we've got now and if the answer to that is no then you best start extricating yourself from that system as fast as possible because the bottom line is you are not going to have enough people around you to change the tide of this. It's just very unlikely to happen. However, what you can do is start to build something for yourself and for your family. Uh, and what we often say on the channel is you need to build your arc like Noah's Ark and you need to start to decentralize your life so you're not stuck on this sinking ship with everybody else who isn't at present waking up. Now, they might do in the future. That might happen. However, don't bank on it. What you need to start banking on is that there is going to be a separate community. It is going to continue. We're all over the world. There's too many of us to just disappear and fade away. And what we're doing is we're starting to take control of our own energy, control of our own food, control of our own water supply, and also our finances too. And then we're all hooking up online. We're all meeting up, building a big community. And that really is the start of a parallel system. Now, if this other system does come into being, which it most likely is going to, it will eventually fail the same way totalitarianism failed in Europe from 1945 to 1989. However, it took a long time. It took a long time to collapse. And I think the same thing is likely to happen. Now, I never discount a black swan coming and changing everything overnight. That could happen. But looking at the trajectory of things, it's unlikely. So start to focus on yourself. Start to find people that also want to leave the system. And you need to start taking radical personal responsibility for your life and your family's life and not thinking that you're going to be able to live in the mainstream 
and survive because what you're going to do is get sucked straight into the new system. It's going to be so hard to get yourself out of that if you're still dependent on them, for example, for your energy and food. Because all they need to do is create an energy crisis and a food crisis, and then you're going down with the ship too. So I would say to people, really start to think about your futures. Be prepared to take really radical action. You know, that's what we had to do to move country, uh, to get self-sufficiency. But you need to need to need to get yourself out of them cities because the cities are going to be the place of the most totalitarian controls, most surveillance. And you're really going to be trapped into any future crisis. And there's an awful lot of them that they can easily conjure up. So my advice is start to think about those things now. Whilst you've still got time, be willing to make some radical changes but also know that there is a community out there that is doing this. There's a big revival going on. Uh, we're seeing this in Poland. There's an awful lot of young people who had all kinds of futures laid out for them that have decided now, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to go back to the rural communities. We're going to start to grow our own food. We're going to live the old ways. It's not about being a prepper with a bunker. It's about going back to old tried and tested ways, growing your own food, living in communities, and having real meaningful communication and relationships with other people again. Awesome, mate. Yeah, I love that message. All right, now I know you've got to you've got to dive out. So uh, I'll just first of all kind of you know um, say goodbye to you before I do uh, everyone else. But you know, thanks so much for for coming on. You know, really appreciated your contributions and uh, yeah, and you know we've gone on a lot longer than I expected. So you've been very generous with your time. So uh, yeah, I'll let you uh, say goodbye as well. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Have a lovely Christmas, everyone. Bye. Thanks, Natalie. Cheers, now. Bye. Bye now. Yep. You too. Bye. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Final. Final goodbyes, Dan. Uh, yeah. Just to say. Um, yeah. Great discussion. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, and if you're interested in what I've got to say, then check me out on lotuseaters.com. Uh, like I say, well, I've got a series uh, called Brokenomics, which I'm basically uh, getting into all the financial topics. At the moment, I'm doing the um, the fundamentals. Uh, to, to the economic system and, and what they all mean but i'll be getting into the whole geopolitical picture and you know the plans for the future fairly soon so i think that i think that would be a, a genuinely interesting series for for anyone who's not a financial professional who wants to sort of understand this world um and you know like i said i do the um i, I do the daily podcast once a week normally on a tuesday as well which podcast is that? Is that yours? No, it's lotuseaters.com. So if you remember Sargon of Akkad, he set up his own website because he anticipated being um, booted off YouTube. I think he's still got YouTube somehow, uh, but he, he basically wanted to diversify away, so he created he, he created lotuseaters.com, and that's where I am now. I, I, I do a day a week with them. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll have to check that out because I know you started Dissident Factor on YouTube, but then I saw you start posting, so I guess you've migrated, right? Yeah, um... I, I did have my own channel, but I'm really bad at the whole post-production stuff. Um, it's 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 far harder than I thought it was, as I'm, as I'm sure you would, tell me about sure, it. <laughs> sure you appreciate. Um, so yeah, Lotus Eaters. Um, we've got guys who do that for me, so I I, I just talk, and um, you know they they make it look good. Okay, great. Um, Yuri. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of going to continue doing my events i mean it's interesting i might have to get you to come and do a talk at one of my events then i think i think because that's one of the types of things i've got um, my next one in february yeah i'd like to, to booster i've got yeah i've got a, 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 like one of the guys johnny you'll be impressed i've got a guy coming to talk all about cryptos and um how we get outside keep the it, system keep it big, big keep it bitcoin only and then uh, and then, well, you, yeah, then you've got my attention bitcoin, actually, <laughs> it, it's, uh, the, the, 
Bitcoin, uh, he's a Bitcoin guy. So he's uh, nice, nice, um, love it. And yeah, and I, I, I take what um, Mike said really. I mean, that's that's kind of in a slightly different way. What I'm trying to do is, um, you know, you know I, 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 I'm not sure I share the. Um, the bit that I struggle with is like, you know, the, the growing your own food thing, you know, unless you're growing food on an industrial scale, even in a sort of a small community, um, it's backbreakingly hard work and very intermittent, you know, I mean, so I've got lots of skills I can offer in that environment that don't involve growing food. <laughs> so, um, so, um, yeah, and, and very interesting sort of conversation. I think it's interesting that we're all sort of looking for answers and trying to find a way forward, which is, gives me a lot of confidence, I think, and a lot of positivity. And um, just wish everyone a great Christmas and a happy new year, and we'll come back and uh, pretty much do it all again next year, I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll have to do this uh, same time next year or something, see how things have progressed. Um so yeah, Mike, uh, I'll let you uh, give your final words as well. Like just before you do though, like thank you so much for streaming this on your channel. You know, I really appreciate you kind of helping to put this together last minute. Uh, you know, obviously I tried to tried to do it on my Odyssey, tried to do it on my YouTube, wasn't really happening. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was great of you to, to kind of offer to put it on, on your channel. So I hope that your listeners have, have got something from this as well. Uh, but yeah, um, final, final send off, Mike. Yeah, just a quick final goodbye. So thank you to everyone for being a part of this too. I enjoyed uh, speaking to with you all and I haven't spoken to some of you before, so that was great. Uh, also, yeah, if you want to find more about actually decentralizing your life and starting to take those steps, we've got a community that's grown up around my channel of people that have moved from Australia to Siberia. We've got people who have moved to Latvia from the UK. We've got people moving all across the world that are doing this. And like I said, there's a real revival going on, but people are often doing it for the first time so they've come from you know corporate backgrounds or working in the city so i'm helping people out with that because like i said this is something we've been doing and planning for for over six years now so if you're interested in that check out my channel and we've got a patreon page and a telegram community too uh, which is private to the group so it's where we're sharing actual intel on the ground and also just giving each other that psychological and moral support as we make these really big changes in our lives Cool. All right. Yeah. And then just a final thank you from me, you know, to for everyone for being a part of this. You know, I really respect all of you guys' opinions and your people who, you know, if I if I want to know kind of what's going on in the world and get some good takes on it, you're the you're the kind of guys that I that I go to for that. So yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on this one. Uh, you know, maybe we'll do one again in the future, but for now let's uh let's close this one off. Cheers guys. Thanks so much, Johnny. See you later. Thanks everyone. Merry Christmas, guys. Christmas.